0: me a go no go for launch
1: just when you think you're out they pull you back in i was gonna say something that was not true i i don't
2: know why we do these
1: let's make film history
0: we are go for launch
3: welcome back everybody to the almost sideways podcast this is episode 176 Uh, recording on sunday may 22nd 2022 at 5 p.m pacific daylight time i'm your host terry placknett joining me it's todd it's zach zach you have one more week left of the school year how does it
2: feel oh it feels fantastic and it's not even a real week all i have to do is like show up I'm feeling like Miles coming back from the wine trip. You know, I got my wine glass on my wine jug on the on the table, and we're reading a separate piece, and it's fantastic here in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, where it was 100 degrees the other day, and it was snowing in Colorado, and uh, we're just hoping for many, many tornadoes. Maybe a Bill Paxton appearance, RIP. And uh, yeah, I just I, I I cannot wait. I'm 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 just what's the, the Maryland level? Uh, proud, honored, and thrilled.
3: There we go. Proud, happy, Proud honored, and thrilled. <laughs> well, the uh, the the senior is is currently uh, just a few hours from you up in Nebraska. So
2: the senior, okay, who's the senior? Terry it, senior, yeah. Oh, okay. You, you see, I've been at a at graduation party, so I think senior. I'm like B.B. Newirth and say anything. I'm the random teacher that shows up at the graduation parties. I haven't always done that this year, but they, they insisted. And so uh, anyway, uh, well, congrats to Terry Senior. I'm sure he's listening to this. And um, yeah, more, more power to him. Hope he's enjoying his time up there in Lincoln. One of the kids I was at their party today is actually going to Lincoln. I was like, Ooh. yeah, go go Huskers. Yeah, uh, he is an excellent baseball player, but he will probably never oh, make that nice. team. But uh, I did say, uh, you know, I, I feel just like your grandma once told me that Jayhawks and Cornhuskers have a natural connection because we hate Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, Todd, I know you were watching right along with me.
3: How horrible do you feel for uh, Mito Pereira?
1: Yeah, Mito had a – that was a, just an epic choke job. I don't know why he even swung like that on the 18th hole. Like, that swing was so bad. You could tell by the way he bent and swung sideways that he knew its swing was off. Like, yeah, what, it looked like he forgot how gotta, to swing. You got to come off that. Like, you got to stop that and be like, okay, regather yourself and, and put away the driver. And he put it yeah. in the water even. That's just a, the worst break. That was like the tiniest little water hazard ever.
2: Yeah. Zach, we're yeah. talking about golf. Yeah. Championship. Well, and I was gonna ask Terry, this is t- two weeks in a row. Have you seen the trailer for Phantom of the Open yet? Nope. <laughs> oh, I saw I, it today was, at the movie I was at.
3: I I, I was in uh I, I didn't see it when I went to the movies yesterday, and I was uh, at outdoor school all week and completely incommunicado on all things technology for four days this this last week. So um to get ready for this podcast, I watched three movies yesterday so nice yeah yeah well let's get into actually talking about movies and uh oh by the way congratulations to justin thomas for you know outlasting everybody else at the PJ championship i'm sure he's listening uh zach you've already referenced it already what are you drinking
2: i'm having some white wine and i did want to mention um i sent todd a link to this there was a really nice podcast in the last couple of weeks about sideways and uh, the podcast basically the big takeaway from it is that there was no such thing as the sideways effect. Yes, Merlot sales went down, but so did Chardonnay sales. And so it kind of I, this is not Chardonnay, but it does make me think of Chardonnay drinking white wine. And there's no such thing as the sideways effect. Well, no, it's- but he
1: trashes Chardonnay too. They said that, like you, you know, I don't like to manipulate Chardonnay in California. Too much oak and secondary malolactic fermentation. You know, like like
2: he he sh- shits on Chardonnay too.
3: And like Pinot sales doubled.
2: After. Pinot sales did double, but it also actually made Merlot taste better too. And you could get <laughs> good cheap Merlot. I guess the real question is whatever happened to Andrew Murray. I mean, what happened to his sales or, or Sasakaya? I mean, those had to go up, right? I think we well, need more scientific what were data. Those, about though? Those. Were, were, they, were those actually Pinots? I
0: don't <laughs> know. think
2: I've ever actually looked that up. Or a 92 Byron. I mean, we're talking, you know, we, we should have said something about Byron 30 year anniversary. I mean, come on. I, I want to know. I want to know what happened with the sales of Rieslings, Rieslings, Rieslings.
1: Yeah. It's still Riesling. always the smallest section in every wine store. It's the Riesling section. There's always like five bottles.
2: Yeah. I mean, whenever I go to like, uh, like they'll sometimes have like a free tasting for food for like teachers in our area. The only wine they ever have there is Rieslings, and that just means that they're cheap, and uh, it has turned me off from Rieslings. But Rieslings, you, Riesling. do you know Rieslings,
1: yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I made myself a Manhattan, and I, I shook it. I did not stir it. I got a cherry in there too. So, cheers! Beautiful, very nice. All right. Well, I went to uh,
3: I went to Ridge Walker today. Shout out to Ridge Walker Brewing in uh in Forest Grove. They actually have a a beer um that has podcast in the name now. I did not get that one. I'll have to get that at some point though. Um but this is this is their Berserker uh blonde ale. And it was really refreshing, so I went with it
2: for like burr. Oh, oh a little too uncomfortably close to burr beer which, it does as we all know on this podcast is the worst that's beer why i had
3: to taste ever. test it before i got yeah. it and it actually was good so
2: burr beer is like the bubble of beers right
3: <laughs> i i think that's or, fair to say
2: or maybe fire starter of beers
3: see i i got this one though because uh because todd i i felt like uh like if anything could describe some of what we saw in in uh the movie we're reviewing today i mean berserker splitter kind of fits yeah
1: that's not it's not bad
3: yeah i know right okay uh, that's just teasing okay. a little bit of what we got coming up we are reviewing uh one of the movies that uh debuted this week in theaters uh not downton abbey because none of us have seen any of downton abbey like ever so i've seen one
1: episode
2: One episode. Todd's seen one episode. Can I I just say, I kind of want to see Downton Abbey. I would actually contemplate watching it if it was streaming because there's a whole subplot about how they're shooting a movie in the house. And that's fascinating. You know, I don't know any of those characters, but a movie about movies is always entertaining, right? Especially with Dame Maggie Smith.
1: You know, the bubble,
2: that was so good, you know. (laughs) Touche. I'm surprised you don't watch. I
3: mean, I feel like, you know, Grey's Anatomy, Downton Abbey, those would kind of, like, be on the same par, wouldn't you think?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, one's a, you know, a Seattle hospital in the contemporary era. Another is a, you know, a mansion ostensibly in Britain in the 1920s, I think. So, absolutely. They're
3: both, like, like, you know, different versions of... Are they? No, They're both women's shows.
2: Is that what you're suggesting? That they both appeal more to? I mean, it is appropriate on this episode that we talk about a movie called Men. We talk about women's TV and a, another a, a TV a movie that was directed at a female audience that I have to review in trivia later today. So if, I guess if we're if we're looking at the gender binary of movies, then I, I suppose it's a, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. I was just going with like
3: primetime soap <laughs> opera type stuff, but I mean, you can go there too if you want to. Um let's look at what we've been watching. Oh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the place. Oh, oh, we had a review. Um <laughs> this is actually kind of funny. Uh Adam sent this to me because I don't pay any attention to it. So uh someone actually sent us a review. Uh this was back on April 24th, and we just are getting around to it. Five star review on I on Apple Podcasts. And uh, says uh, fun, great to listen. And learned a few things. This is from Hot Tea Cup, by the way. Uh, and it says, uh, thanks guys. Do you ever get a ladies' view or guest host?
2: Great question. <laughs> Terry, yeah, speaking, can that? Speaking Perfect of timing uh, for uh, that gender conversation. Roles
3: and yeah, yeah, <laughs> and all this stuff, and reviewing a movie called Men and talking about Downton Abbey. Um, we, we don't usually, I mean, the closest we got is is Adam has interviewed um some like female YouTube personalities and things like that on the show. Uh, we've never had a female guest host, but, uh, I mean, our, our, our wives point of view definitely play a role in the, in the podcast. I would say,
2: yeah, would we're, say not, we're not married to the same woman, by the way, just to, just so we're cl- clear our wives, plural. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. um, I, I would also say that we once did a power ranking suggested by Arlette. So do we get some Brownie points for mm, that? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so
3: yeah so 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 the 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 female point of view definitely plays a role but um listen we're just like we're
2: just a bunch of dudes like bo burnham and inside you know just talking about how we are we're we're woke and we uh we're we're white and we're here to save the day and let's channel sandra bullock in the blind side that is what we're here to do
3: sandra bullock all right yes absolutely Absolutely, I agree. Right, we,
2: let... we we should get we we should get some female guest hosts. I that, that I nominate I nominate Trisha for when we do our deep dive of my my best friend's wedding later this year. That
3: wouldn't be bad. That wouldn't be bad. She needs to appear on the podcast. I agree. Yes, she's making appearance.
1: We've done some real Trisha movies too, but yeah, I mean that'd be one that we would need help because I've only seen it like part of once.
2: <laughs> i've only seen it like 30 times so i yeah i need some help too someone who Never actually seen likes it. Feel like when we had to get ben for speed
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yep another sandra Bullock uh,
3: movie yes yes it is all right let's move on to what we've been watching this
2: week zach what'd you watch so i just got back from a movie today that i saw in theaters it is called the duke now when I first went to this movie I thought it was going to be a biography of the alleged killer of Kurt Cobain hired by uh Courtney Love Il Duce, Il Duce the Duke so imagine my surprise when I found out that it was a stuffy British uh kind of kitchen sink comedy set in the early 1960s I was like come on where give me you know give me the the the, the laugh and the the, the the you know talk about scary men I mean Il Duce you know um the movie stars uh, Jim Broadbent, who has never been in a Marvel movie. Did you guys know that? Uh, I <laughs> Officially, it, yes. <laughs> I, I guess I found that out a couple weeks ago. He's um, a Harry Potter guy, though. Th- that's true. Now, has Helen Mirren been in a Marvel movie? That is another one we could have said on that stupid uh, trivia, right? Ooh. I-, I think, Terry, you need to look this up. Um, I-, I I would say that she probably has not, but you never know. Uh Jim Broadbent is an Academy Award winner, somehow. I'm not sure how. Uh, yeah, have, yeah, has, yeah. Anyone Neither seen, has anyone seen Iris? I certainly have not. I saw it last year yeah. because I was watching the thing. Yeah. It, okay. I'm, now, yeah. Jim, when we think Jim Broadbent uh, 2001, we don't think Iris. We think Harold Zidler from Moulin Rouge. And in that movie, he says Duke a lot, right? He also says um, <laughs> The, the the role he should have been nominated in one for for sure because I I can, can, can that's what he also says a lot too that was actually spectacular spectacular, spectacular spectacular yes uh, anyway this Jim Broadbent is much older um, and uh, he's an old man in this movie and he is not a duke believe it or not it, he is named Kempton Button which is about the most British name I've ever heard of in my life uh, he's a real person who in 1961. Um, stole a very famous portrait painting by the artist Goya of the Duke of Wellington from the National Gallery in London. Now, why did he do this? Uh, he was not some petty fee for criminal. He wasn't in the criminal underworld or anything like that. He was just a basically a cranky old man who did not like the fact that he had to pay a television fee in order to get a telly in his home Uh, He had to pay it because the BBC, I guess, insisted on people paying television fees back in 1961 when television was just becoming, you know, popular. Um, And so out of protest, out of a sense of collective um, anger that old people like him and his frumpy wife, played by Helen Mirren, uh would be uh assigned to pay this fee he steals the painting and basically holds it hostage kind of um to make a point about uh that old people should have should be able to watch tv too without a uh, uh a a fine or without some sort of uh, uh, subscription service. I agree that people should watch TV without a subscription service. That's what I've been saying for years. That's why I will never get Peacock, unlike you guys. And I'm glad I didn't buy Peacock last week for Firestarter, because that would have been garbage. Anyway, uh, this movie is sadly the last movie of Roger Mitchell, very underrated director, uh, he directed *Changing Lanes*, which boy, that would be a great t- 2002 deep dive, an indulgent one because I love that movie more than you guys. But he mm-hmm. also made *Notting Hill*, *Venus*, *Enduring Love*, uh, *The Mother*, another mother movie, uh, one that we haven't talked about, the Daniel Craig mother. Um, great director. He died uh, last year. Um, this was his swan song, and I got to say, it's not a great movie. Um, the the vibe I got from it was very *Old Man and the Gun*, which is a movie we, we I think we reviewed. It's a great movie. And I did not like that movie at all uh just because the guy is old and snuggly and a little curmudgeonly and he's got a twinkle in his eye like robert redford or jim broadbent does not mean he shouldn't pay for his crime this guy stole a painting robert redford stole shit he should go to jail I mean, listen, I don't want to arrest my grandpa for this kind of stuff. But I'm just saying, like, let's get real. That was, That's not cool stealing shit, okay? And there's a whole big thing in the courtroom. And it's like, oh, he's making everybody laugh. And everybody is just so sweet. So I just, I don't get it. You know, But people, there should be consequences for crimes. This movie is a Terry movie. Terry, go see it. It, it would make a great double bill with the golf movie with Mark Rylance. And uh, I'm giving it two and a half stars, mostly out of respect for Roger Mitchell, a really good director. I also got to say, I, c- I couldn't understand this movie at all. I, it may have to do partly with the intoxication, but also the fact that they spoke in some really heavy British accents in this movie. Not that the story was all that complicated, but I would, I would like some subtitles maybe in the future. Maybe I'm just getting old and cranky like this guy. But I'm not going to go out and steal art uh, because art, uh, you know, art, art is, is amazing. So anyway, uh, that's a long and rambling review that I definitely prepared for. So I would say two and a half stars. Uh, see it if you're interested. R.I.P. Roger Mitchell. Isn't it Michelle? It's, it, there's no T in Mitchell, which is kind of a curiosity. I'd, I'm not sure. Uh,
3: so, so to answer your question, um, Helen Mirren has never been in a Marvel movie. However, she has been in the Red franchise. She has been uh, in several Fast and the Furious movies, and yeah. she is scheduled to be in the new Shazam movie later this year.
2: Well, who doesn't want to have Helen Mirren in their movie? I mean,
3: I mean Helen Mirren and Oscar are going home with me. You remember that so- that whole song, that whole bit? No. Jack Black, Will Ferrell,
1: John C. <laughs> Riley. I mean, I remember the sequence. I don't remember the A at
3: the Oscars. It's the saddest man in town. You don't guys you don't remember? This is like one of my favorite moments in Oscar history, and that their song ends with Helen Mirren and an Oscar will be coming home with me.
2: That's I just think, she won for the Queen. I just know that Helen Mirren is married to Taylor Hackford, and the yeah. most interesting thing about Taylor Hackford is that he's married to Helen Mirren. None of the not his any of his movies but the fact that he's married to Helen Mirren. That's not true. Taylor Hackford has good movies. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> Please. I'm, I'm so sad
3: you guys don't remember that. Okay. Todd, what did you watch this week?
1: Uh, I watched a Netflix original that came out last month. Uh, it's called Metal Lords, uh, directed by Peter Solet. And uh, he's the director of like Raising Victor Vargas and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. This is also written by one of the co-creators of Game of Thrones, which is weird because there's nothing like that. It's a high school comedy about two friends who want to form a heavy metal band. Hunter is played by Adrian Greensmith, and he's just like a crazy metal head who's obsessed with forming this band. And his friend is uh, Kevin, played by Jaden Martell. And he's just like kind of loner, loser character uh, who's ideal. Who He, he, he asked him, like, what's your favorite metal band? And he's like, I don't know, but I really like Rock of Ages. So that's where he's coming from and he's going to be the drummer in this band. So they inadvertently get into like a fight with an actual band at a party. And in true, true like boy meets world fashion, they're like, Oh yeah, we have a band and it kicks ass. And then after that, they're hell bent on, you know, winning the school's battle, of the bands contest, even though they don't actually have a band, they still don't have a bass player. So they run into this girl, Emily played by Isis Hainsworth. And, uh, she had just like had a meltdown playing her clarinet, uh, during, um, uh, like a mar- marching band thing and but she's actually a killer cellist and they decide to make her the bass player but they don't like have her cello the bass like they do in school <laughs> of rock uh they just have her play the che- like electronic cello she even they even quote school of rock in this movie so it's pretty self-aware uh there's a little dope in there as well as like with this like moderately uh, or like uh, aspirations about being meaningful and it has something to say about the delusions of musicians, like you need to have that blind eye to the fact you're not very good to actually achieve something. Uh, there's a bald Joe Manganiello in this, and Brett Gelman is in it as well. Like They're pretty funny. And there's a cool cameo by like the Anthrax and Metallica and Rage Against the Machine and Judas Priest and in like a dream sequence at a hot tub. It was really strange. The Battle of the Band sequence is actually pretty cool. They have a song that's called Machinery of Torment, which actually kicks ass, and that totally sounds like a Slipknot album. But um, uh, the movie doesn't really amount to too much. It's enjoyable to watch, but it's really slight, uh, and so it's hard to like fully embrace. It's more airheads than it actually is School of Rock. The young actors are cool, and um, the band name is cool, too, and they have to bleep it out. It's a Skull-effer, uh, but, you know... it's fine it's a two and a half star movie it's it's fun to hang out with but don't expect greatness it it's a it's an easy watch though very nice very nice machinery of torment
3: and this is on netflix yeah netflix original nice nice there's like
2: five of those every week yes all right i I was a big fan of Jaden martell and it Yeah, probably my favorite young actor in that movie. All right,
3: so my Oscar watch for this week, I'm going back 20 years to a lone Best Actor nominee.
1: The Quiet American.
3: The Quiet American is correct. You find that movie anywhere? Uh, I actually own it on DVD. I own it (laughs) on DVD. Anyone seen that movie? It's on Pluto. Uh, but it's all. I also own the DVD just randomly it's yeah i don't know how i got it anyways yeah the quiet american uh this was michael cain's follow-up oscar nomination after he won in 99 for the cider house rules Uh, it is directed by philip noyce and uh it's based on a graham green novel um michael cain plays on an older british journalist who's uh, reporting on what's going on in Vietnam in the 50s, just kind of right on the, the brink of the Vietnam War. <clears throat> the quiet American, the titular character, if you will, is uh, Alden Pyle, played by Brendan Fraser, like at the height of Brendan Fraser's powers. Uh, like this is like, he made this between the first two mummy movies. and uh, And he is, he befriends... Uh, Michael Caine's character's name is Thomas Fowler, um, and uh, because he's a fan of his work, um, and eventually um, Brendan Fraser's character meets uh, Thomas Fowler's mistress that he has in Vietnam. Her name is Fong, played uh, uh, by Tai Hai Yendo, and uh, and uh, Thomas Fowler loves her, but can't really do much beyond that because he is married. Alden, P- Alden Pyle has like love at first sight and is not married, and so he kind of has that leg up of he could actually get her out of there by marrying her and taking her back to America. Um, and uh, throughout all this like love triangle stuff, you also have the 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 playing out of what is leading to the Vietnam War, and um, a lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of black and white and a whole lot of gray in there, and uh, and you get some um, some mixed motivations uh you could say on some different things as it it leads to the the climactic ending uh this is an interesting movie there's a lot going on there and it can be kind of hard to follow exactly what they're alluding to at different times when they're talking about um the the world in general at that time uh the more in the most interesting part of it is when you get um, Michael Caine and Brendan Fraser together. I don't think Brendan Fraser ever got the credit he deserved for how good he could be. Um, and this is a movie where he can kind of show off his actual acting chops. Michael Caine's great as he always is. Um, you also get a great, uh, great performance from Ma, who is always great to, great to see in stuff like this. Uh, I'm giving it three stars. Uh, great performances. Uh, could have been a. Uh, it could have had a little bit clearer of a focus, but, um, I also know sometimes when you're adapting a book, you're all over the place to try and get as much into a, into an hour and 40 minute movie as possible. So, uh, yeah, three stars, solid movie. Um, Todd, I saw you, you thought it was okay. Zach, you have it on the website as four
2: stars. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing this movie back in 2002. And you got to remember, this was young, pretentious Zach instead of old, pretentious Zach. And I really dug the movie. I can't say I remember anything about it. Same. Uh, except that Michael Kine got another nomination. And um, there were probably many more people that were much more deserving than him.
0: Yeah,
3: this definitely had the makings of a of a, you know, justification nomination for the weakest of the five winning in 1999 when he aka won for the house
2: rules. Robert or Robert Edward Norton in 25th hour that that he stole his spot I don't even know how that race went
3: but yeah he definitely deserved to be in there
2: I just remember at the Oscars uh when Adrian Brody won you guys can watch this on YouTube uh oh was it Michael Kane maybe it wasn't michael Caine. I think it was uh uh jack nicholson and nicholas cage were just sitting next to each other and uh they had they were arm in arm when adrian brody won and they were like yeah dude more power to you they they, they were pretty happy for adrian brody the only one that hadn't won yet <laughs> all <laughs> right
3: well let's move on into our featured review before we get to power rankings let's talk about uh what we saw in theaters this week
2: i love this movie so much
3: I did not really like this film at all.
2: This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it.
3: Movie reviews. And for that, like I said, we didn't go see Downton Abbey. We saw the other movie that epically bombed at the box office and made a total of like $3.3 million this weekend. Um, while Dr. Strange still dominates and is number one. Um, I think I saw this was number five. It, it, it debuted at fifth in the box office. However, sixth, just barely behind it, still everything, everywhere, all at once, still making, still God making lives. like over three million dollars each week, and it's been out there for like two or three months already. Anyways, yeah, the,
2: the local art house theater I go to in Kansas City says it's their number one movie of all time. Wow, wow, that has grossed at their theater. Yeah, Screenland Armour, shout out.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the one here would be like that too. I know the previous. The, the, the all-time record holder was Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm sure that this is probably going to beat that because it's going to continue playing there forever. Yeah. Anyways, what we're not talking about those ones. What we're talking about is men, men. Men, men,
3: men, 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 men. We're talking about men.
0: Hello. Hi. Mrs. Marlowe, yes? Harper, yes. Come in. The words I have to say. It's. A beautiful well be simple, house. But true.
1: <laughs> Will it just be you staying or? Excuse me? Mrs. Marder? No. Until you give your love, there's nothing more that we can do. Apple from the garden? Y- yeah, it
0: was delicious. No, 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 no. Mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit. Oh, God, sorry, I. I I'm I, joking. I oh. Tormented. It feels more like... Wanted? Yeah. Something happened. My husband went upstairs to our balcony and let himself go. You must wonder why you drove him to it. Why well, I didn't drive him to it.
1: Might it be true that if you had given him the chance to apologize
0: he'd still be alive. What? A man... followed me out of the woods. He was stalking me. What makes you say that? I saw him twice. Twice? I don't know if he saw you once. Play a game. You hide, I'll see. You must feel an awful sense of guilt. Stay away from me. What are you doing there? What are you? you?
3: Uh, this is written and directed by Alex Garland, who is a fan. I mean, we we are fans of him and his work, uh, especially Ex Machina. So uh, we we were we had some some pretty high hopes for this one going into it. So Todd, tell us about Men and what you thought.
1: All right, uh, it is a folk horror movie, is how it's described. Alex Garland is the Oscar-nominated writer, director, and also. Author of things like *You Said Ex Machina*, we got *28 Days Later*, *Sunshine*, and *Annihilation*, which is one of the worst movies of the 2010s. uh It is *Men* is a is his first fully original directorial effort, though, and it is absolutely original. Harper Marlowe is main character, played by Oscar nominee Jesse Buckley, and she uh, decides to go on this solo vacation to a cottage in Coaston, which is somewhere like on the outskirts of England, I think. um But it's mostly due to the fact that her husband, played by Papa S.E.A. do just died under questionable and sort of tragic circumstances and she wants to get away and forget about the troubling relationship that was for her and she's met there by her landlord Jeffrey played by Rory Kinnear and he's like sort of eccentric and a little suspect Kinnear is also the title characters Uh, about a dozen other men because basically the rest of the cast Uh, I'm not entirely sure if this is supposed to be obvious to her that they all look alike but I mean it works Uh, Kinnear is Terry, he tears it up in this. I and mean, he is he, even playing a young boy who just wants to play hide and seek. Like he is awesome. Um, the movie becomes some sort of uh, eerie Lynchian kind of mystery about a woman who is haunted by all these men. She's stalked by a naked man. She's cursed out by a child. She's gaslighted by the police and by a Bishop of a church. Uh, the last 15 minutes or so of this movie are this like Cronenberg style sequence that is, Hard to describe. It's just like hypnotic and jaw-dropping and grotesque. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I don't really want to. I don't really want to really say too much about it. But like, you'll be gr- glued to the screen, whether you like it or not. And it, it keeps going and it keeps going until you actually get what it's about. The movie is saying something about women's trauma. It's saying about how women are in abusive relationships and how the subsequent men are, are always going to sort of side with that man and then they try to manipulate your feelings and to film, like you were in the wrong. And it's also about like how. It, if one man's a bad seed, then um, he's going to pass it off to their offspring and uh, the cycle will continue from generation to generation. And it's also about like how one bad relationship is going to constantly be manifested in every man that woman meets from that point on. At least I think that's what it means because I uh, it is definitely up for interpretation. I saw this in an afternoon showing and it was in my mind until I went to bed. Uh, is it all interesting? Absolutely. Is it repetitive a little bit? Does it all work? Absolutely not. But uh, there, there are some like th- some things, especially in the beginning parts that don't really add up. Like I want to go back and clear a few things up before I go too high on it. Like I was enthralled, but I was also kind of appalled and and, and sort of haunted by this movie and its meanings. And I was talking with my girlfriend for for like hours afterwards. I, I just I just feel like parts are a little gimmicky. And I I can't be head over heels over just yet. And I was reminded of this quote in this terrible 2000s comedy called The Animal, where Rob Schneider just like licks some food off uh, some girl's face. And he's like, and she says, I don't know if this is the best thing that ever happened to me or the worst. And that is how I feel about this movie. But you can't shake it. I'm giving it three stars for now. Okay. Okay. What did the girlfriend think? Uh, email opinion she she was uh just as sort of baffled and obsessed with trying to unlock what it means as i was okay we we were pretty much in, in the same ballpark though
3: all
2: right okay zach what'd you think all right well i'm glad first of all great pick uh I'm tired of doing shit like Firestarter. Let's get a real movie back. It's nice to nice to finally have. Feels like forever we've actually talked about a movie that was interesting like this. And I gotta applaud Todd. Great review. That can I I want to cut out like that minute where you were like dissecting and analyzing psychoanalyzing the ending. That was fantastic. That actually helped me a lot understand the movie. I I think I think you're totally right. Maybe I don't know. It was an interesting explanation. I like the rebirth and recycling of tra- generational violence and trauma. That is a great take, my friend, and we should be we should that should be going out on our promo tape or something. Um, I was prepared for Todd to hate this movie. I, the, the moment this movie ended, I turned to Samantha and I'll tell you what she thought of it in a second. I thought I said Todd's going to hate this movie mostly because you hated Annihilation, and I thought there was a lot of annihilation in this movie. Uh, These slow mo the specks from the dandelions falling down, the smelling of like trees in the wilderness, the the, the husband who dies in the first 15 minutes. I thought, oh, Todd's going to hate this movie. I like this movie. I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, the first hour of this movie, I thought, was tremendously <laughs> suspenseful, uh, very interesting. I think it's an important point that you should probably watch this movie in a theater because it's one of those cases where it's like, it's probably going to make you check your phone and social media if you watch it on Netflix on your TV, because it's not necessarily the most like, there's not a lot that happens in it. I think there's like a 12 minute sequence where she really just wanders in the wilderness in the forest. But in a theater when you don't have those distractions, that shit is really fascinating. And I thought it was almost like, I mean, I know this movie's kind of a horror movie. But those sequences I thought were kind of like really interesting and almost like i don't i don't know like almost movie therapy like asmr movie edition i don't know like i i was like totally digging that like i like nature walks um i thought jesse buckley is amazing in this movie she commands every scene in it uh she's great i do have to confess i was not aware where that first of all that rory Kinnear existed is he greg Kinnear relationship i i don't know but um, he's great. I did not know he was all the actors in it. I got to say, like, I know there's critics out there. There's critics out there who are shitting on the movie and they're saying, oh, when he's the little kid, that's obvious CGI. I didn't think so. I thought he did a really convincing job of playing all those different uh, characters. OK, is it heavy handed? Is it over the top? Sure. Um, those critics who are shitting on it are talking especially about the last 15 minutes and saying, oh, you know, uh, it's heavy. It's obvious. Uh, it's kind of bad CGI. It's you know, over the top. Do we really need that? Do we need to get that in our minds? Like Todd was saying, this is not a movie that you're going to forget easily. Um, I dug it. I thought it was interesting. Like, uh, I mean, is it a great way to end that movie? I don't know. Maybe there were other endings. I thought the the way the movie was going was more in the, I spit on your grave direction. I thought she was going to like rip out some shit and like, you know, like uh yeah you know, just uh you know like like bud says in kill bill volume two she wants to start some shit she knows where to find us and i thought that's where the movie was going in that direction it did not instead it sort of took a human centipede approach which i appreciate because i'm a fan of that movie loki and uh i thought it was i thought it was interesting I, the critics out there who are shitting on it you come up with a better ending i mean i, I would admit it's not a perfect ending but come up with something that is more bold more ambitious. It's going to make people talk about the movie. Is it a freak show? Sure. But like, you know, I the, the the hour leading up to it was really fascinating, too. Any movie with male nudity is great. You know, I subscribe to the Apatow theory that male nudity is always great, both comic relief and horror. Very few things are simultaneously those things. Um, I I don't, I agree with Todd almost absolutely about this movie. I give it three stars. I don't think it's necessarily a masterpiece. It's not as good as Ex Machina, but it's a nice kind of comeback in a way for Garland. I don't know what uh, what he's saying about feminism. I I, I don't understand at all where his, where his psyche is uh, at all. Um, but, uh, I think it's an interesting movie and, and I enjoyed it for what it's worth. And, uh, I gotta say naked man at the window. Great, great horror device would, would like to see more of that in movies. And, and Apatow would agree probably needed more of that in the bubble, quite honestly.
3: All right. All right. Uh, so we've got three stars from Todd, three stars from Zach. Uh, we're not going to be thrice approved. I'm oh, going, come I'm, on. I'm going two and a half stars. I, I will say this though. Uh, one of the things I love about Alex Garland is he has kind of become a master at having this this quiet, unsettling vibe to his movies, and that's what you get. I mean, this is his third directorial uh, you know outing, and he has really mastered that vibe. Ex Machina, Annihilation, and then Here in Men, you have this just quiet. Hypnotic yet unsettling vibe to the entire thing, and and for the first half, you, that that is what rules, and and it just draws you in, and uh, and you can't help but be just completely fascinated by what's going on. His outings always come down to, will the ending make any sense, and will it work? Uh, Ex Machina is his best movie because it worked. I mean, it was a beautiful ending and a masterpiece kind of through and through annihilation was a little weird, but I, I liked it and I couldn't, and I, I was able to kind of accept the ending for what it was kind of like what you guys are saying about this. I, as what has, uh, I felt about annihilation, this, the ending is just out there and goes to a point to a place that I'm like, what what am I even watching? And, and, and I, I feel like, like, this is what the Jesse Buckley character, I think this is what she's saying too, because she, she stops running in horror at one point and just has this look on the, on her face of what is actually going on here. And uh, that, that's kind of how I felt as I was watching it too. And, and it's like, it, I, I hear what you guys are saying because I agree that it's, it's, it's messy. It's, It's over the top. It's out of control, but it's so over the top and messy and out of control that it, it takes away from everything that had happened before. Um, so I mean, the setup was great, but, uh, the ending just doesn't stick. So that's why I'm giving it two and a half stars. The one thing, another thing I will say about Alex Garland's outings, I don't know if either of you have, have seen it, but he did have the limited series on Hulu devs. Um, I watched like an episode and a half and I I just couldn't. It was it was too weird and too out there. And uh yeah, I I, I just couldn't get couldn't get into that one at all. But um he tends he seems to be getting weirder and weirder as he goes along, which is kind of scaring me a little bit. He needs to simplify just a little, I think. So two and a half stars for me.
1: Well, but he's gone away from books. Like I mean, originally he was writing books and maybe being the screenwriter, adapting those into movies, and then he was adapting other people's stuff, and now he's this is his first original thing. This is what he wants to do. They gave him creative control, and this is what he came up with. And I don't know. I mean, I think I kind of liked him the most out of the three of us, which is not really what I was expecting. But <laughs> I, I, I think it. Like I said, it could potentially be like this, like crazy long lasting like four star movie to me or it could be if if the things I think are wrong with it are actually wrong with it it could be more like a one star movie I have no idea but I'm in the middle somewhere because I really could not shake this movie off for like 10 hours.
2: Yeah I I thought I thought about a couple movies watching I thought about swimming pool Terry's favorite movie which is why I'm surprised he didn't like this movie. Uh I also thought about some 70s movies. I thought about like Don't Look Now the Nick Rogue movie there's just something a little bit like uneasy and surreal about the movie. And I really like that vibe. Um, I, I respect a director who's willing to spend an hour of the movie with just setup and no payoff and not a lot of characters and not a lot of like conventional action beats. I guess the big theory that I think Terry's opinion, it seems to be sort of the consensus opinion of a lot of critics who are eager to shit on this movie. But I guess my question is, finish the movie then all right you want to take out that ending you think it's over the top you think it's heavy-handed it's obvious whatever you come up with a better solution come up with a better ending because i don't know if there is one you could do the whole conventional that's what i was saying earlier you could do the conventional i spit on your grave shit but how many times have we seen that you could well, is do it, is it conventional
1: it could it be conventional and when you have one actor playing all of the characters and was that only done because it was shot during COVID? Like was this the plan all along to have one guy do all these things? I don't know if it actually was because if it was, then he would have probably I, I, been gotta, the boyfriend character be. too, or the the husband. He would have been the husband too. Like if if that was, if it was a full full-on follow through, I think it was well, a COVID decision.
3: Maybe, I don't know. I th- I think that that's fairly effective though, and I I, I agree. Rory Kinnear does. a I know, but you document. can't
1: make a conventional ending when that's when that's what you've been doing the whole time. There's obviously something else sinister going on where you can't just have like a some sort of revenge ending.
3: And, right. and your point, Zach, of of how how you end it, I don't know because the whole time I was exactly. watching it, the question I was asking is, how is he going to end this?
2: Exactly. All, all and, then, and then it and then ends, and I went,
3: "What the hell was that?
2: <laughs> come up with it. Come up with a better ending if you really hate it. Which you know, fine. You know, you're entitled to your opinion, but." Like, Alex Garland is a creator, you know? I mean, he loves that he's a creator. He sees himself as, you know, uh, 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 Oscar Isaac in uh, Ex Machina, maybe. Maybe he fashions himself that way. And is it the most deftly handled movie in the world? Probably not. But, like... Hey, I give him props. I think that was a risk, you know? And I will not forget that experience watching it. It was something different, something I'd never seen before. Uh, Something that I thought actually kind of gave a nice sort of resolution for a series of events that had no real clear explanation leading up to that point. Um, I thought it it was well done. I I don't know why all these critics are hating on it. I I think it's one of those things where it's like easy to hate on it, but come up with something different if you really don't like it, you know? Yeah,
1: and let's be honest. If this was in not in english this would be like a universally loved movie right if this was like if this Ooh, was a french movie a, or yeah, if it was a, a quentin depew movie or like yeah, the guy who did bad luck like banging or loony porn yeah. like like that that's kind of thing if, if it was one of those people this would everyone would love it but that's the fact that it's an, an english language is i don't know well that's i will say
3: point. you you do you do have a good point that that alex garland if nothing else he is he is original and he is fearless in doing what he what he wants to do and like i said i i i enjoyed the movie but the the last the the last act goes a little a little too far for me so i'm i'm just i'm i'm giving it two and a half like it's not like i'm i'm completely bashing it but it, it just it just goes a little a little too far for me and all, all i'll say about it is i didn't know a vagina could grow there <laughs>
2: Well, yeah. listen, I mean, we're all fans of Junior on this podcast. I think there is some <laughs> biology that, like, you know, the, we we can understand. But wasn't it? So that...
3: You were going to say uh, what Sammy thought.
2: Oh, she hated it, interestingly enough. Uh, she thought it was pretentious art for art's sake. And I'm like, well, you know, I thought it was kind of freaking cool. She actually liked Firestarter more than this movie, which I mean, that, that now I just I, I just can't <laughs> respect anything you say. No offense. She's not going to listen to <laughs> it. So, <I'm> curious. <laughs> This is so much better than Firestarter, by the way.
3: So, t- take away. Zach lost all respect for his wife's opinions. Got it. Okay. Um, my, my wife did not see it with me, but I came home and described to her exactly what's going to happen, because I, I said, you're never going to watch this movie. So let me tell you what happened. And her response was, what the hell? I'm like Exactly. That was my reaction.
1: <laughs> well, you said your kids couldn't be traumatized. i so surprised you didn't take your son. <laughs> <laughs> uh
3: yeah yeah not going there not gonna go there
1: there would be some serious questions
2: <laughs> i think adam's gonna love this movie I, I i'm gonna say it right now i think it's Adam, gonna go
1: in his top 10 of the year
2: for sure that's exactly what i was gonna say i think it i think it goes in his top 10 i would be willing to make a wager on that he he's
3: with this his, is an with Adam his movie uh through. with his horror sensibilities i would agree to that i'd agree with that did he I like think.
1: annihilation Ooh, I, think, I so. think so.
3: I think he was the highest on it out of all of us. I want to say like three and a half stars, four
2: stars, four stars for Annihilation. Man, Todd's He's one star review it. is one is one of the most perplexing Todd reviews of all time. Oh, Did either know. of you actually watch devs? No. no, I'm not. I'm not seeing any of it. With,
3: with yeah, with the giant six year old girl statue in the middle of the forest, and <laughs> he um, likes forests. And Nick Offerman is like a technology like peace guru. It's it's weird. Um but as Alex Garland, what can you expect? All right. So that's uh that's men. We got three stars from Todd, three stars from Zach, two and a half from me, not quite thrice approved.
2: How many people are in theater that you guys saw it in? Just out of curiosity. Six. Maybe maybe ten. I was at like three
1: or four. Yeah. I mean, I saw it in the afternoon, so I was expecting not many people, but I was not expecting to be basically empty. I got there. There was an old
2: guy in there who laughed a lot during the last 20 minutes.
3: <laughs> the the parking lot was fairly full. I will say that. So they were seeing something a lot were there for Downton Abbey.
1: <laughs> Even though, like, still got like stomped on by a doctor strange.
3: It did. It did. All right. Well, I, I even though I'm giving it two and a half stars, I think it's still worth seeing simply as a conversation piece because it is, it is, is definitely piece. something you're not going to forget for sure. Yeah,
1: I, I don't, I don't envy you, Terry, who saw this without somebody to talk to afterwards because that that was, that that was something that it needed to be said. <laughs> like if you if you if you had to explain it to somebody who hadn't seen it, then yeah, that would suck. Yeah.
3: Like, I, I got home, I showed her the trailer, which I didn't watch beforehand. I, 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 like, had read the IMDb description, that was it. And then I showed her the trailer, and she went, uh, what? And then I, I told her this is what happened. She goes, uh-uh, nope.
1: Yeah, well, I had this on my original January Oscar predictions in, like, the number 10 slot for Best Picture. Oh, wow. I'm, pr- I'm wrong about that. But, uh, <laughs> but when you do look at the IMDb description... Like uh, back then, it sounded like it could be something uh,
2: more digestible. Do you guys agree with me that Jesse Buckley would make a great Janice Joplin in a movie Ooh, biopic? Yes. Obviously, she's got a great voice. I mean, Jesse Buckley uh, could be anything. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, as we, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. She's going to win an Oscar in the next 10 years, and I'd like for it to be yes. for the Janice Joplin biopic. Actually, a good one. Maybe she's already been a singer
1: Bradley. in a movie, though. Like, I, I think that's. I don't know if she'd do that again. That was her big break, wasn't
3: it, Wild Rose? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it's cool the direction that she's taking. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the Charlie Kaufman movie she was in, but like, she's doing cool auteur-based indie movies that take risks. I, I I commend her for that. No MCU for Jesse Buckley. She's the MVP of this podcast.
3: And she and she's picked up an Oscar nomination for it too. Yeah, exactly. She's awesome. All right. Well, that's men. Uh, go see it in theaters, because it's not going to be around for very long. If it got three million on opening weekend, so... But it's worth seeing, so go see it. Alright, moving on. It is time for Power Rankings.
1: You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse.
3: I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power Rankings.
1: Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again.
3: And we are doing something different today for Power Rankings, and, uh... I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued at how this is going to go. Todd and I were talking before the podcast started, and if this goes well, maybe this is something we, we do a little more often because I, I think it's kind of cool to revisit. Todd, tell us what we're doing since you picked this out.
1: Okay, so we are choosing our, our personal top five for Best Supporting Actor for 2012, uh, excluding the ones that were nominated for the Oscar because I'll make it a little too easy because that year was one that there was a very consensus... Top five, you had like all of them were former winners uh, in that category, so we're taking those off the board. And the reason I chose 2012 is because it's sort of an uh, uh, an anniversary year, and we just did our Glenn, Glenn Glenn Ross thing, where there are like six actors out of the seven actors in there that could have been nominated for Oscars and they weren't. And I I'm just really curious about how we put together our own personal top five supporting actors. 2012 seems like a good good spot to to go to. And yeah, I feel like I feel like we could probably do entire years of this if it goes well. We'll see how how creative we get or how um, how interesting our picks are. But uh, I, th- I think this is going to be fun because we've never done something like this uh, officially. We've talked about these in like private conversations, but never on the podcast.
3: Yeah, well, and I know you two keep like your own running uh, winners for and nominees for every year for all the categories um i did at one point i haven't kept up on it for a while so so this might have been a little easier exercise for you guys but but let's just talk about this race for a little bit first before we actually get into get into giving our our picks here so the ones that were nominated that are ineligible you have uh uh robert de niro for silver linings playbook uh alan arkin for argo Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master, Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln, and then the winner was Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained. Now, Todd, what, you, what you're what you saying, this is a unique list because all five of these were former winners. Um, is this the first time that's ever happened?
1: I can't think of another year that would be that way. Well, oh, there might, well, be oh two a, there might be a was best actress
3: here. Which <laughs> one? O2 oh, Actor was four out of five. It was close, right. but...
1: There's probably a and best actress. Now they are points
3: because the one that didn't won. Yeah. Um
1: but Yeah, like Philip Seymour Hoffman won the Critics' Choice. <laughs> you had Christoph Waltz won the Golden Globe, and I believe the BAFTA. Tommy Lee Jones won the SAG. Uh It was wide as wide open as like 2007 Sporting actress, where everyone kind of took something, and you didn't really know who was going to win.
3: Well, and, and I think and the, the winner wasn't favorite. the favorite. Well, in the odds-on favorite like all season ended up not getting nominated. So, so there you had that part of it too, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about at some point throughout this conversation. Um, If these five were not eliminated, would any of them have made your
1: list? Well, for me, uh, Yeah, I mean, I have De Niro in my personal top five, and I would have Philip Seymour Hoffman if I considered him supporting. He's the—he's obviously the, the he would be the the winner in this category for sure. But uh, he's—that's a lead performance, and so I have him like number two or three for best actor that year. But yeah, so those two would, would absolutely be in my top, my top five. Zach, how about you? Nope,
3: none of them. Nope, none of them. Well, you always kind of come up with with some unconventional. Not, well, not, I wouldn't say unconventional, but I, I'll, not the ones that are normally talked about.
2: Yeah, and what I think is so interesting about 2012, you guys already kind of talked about this, but it, it is one of the few years where, I don't know if you guys felt this way, I had no idea who was winning that Oscar. When Octavia Spencer opened the envelope, it could have been any one of them. Probably not Alan Arkin, but at least the other four, it really realistically could have been any of them. And how often, t- how often does that really happen at the Oscars, especially in an acting award where it is anybody's guess oh two best actor is probably the other the other main example that i could think of maybe oh seven supporting supporting
1: actress actress. yeah that was. Yeah, yeah.
3: that's always a good one too um well yeah alan arkin you definitely get the vibe that this was the the kind of we were talking about michael king getting nominated for the quiet american that was alan arkin for argo right it was it was the justification nomination after his win for little miss sunshine
1: well i mean Um, they do that a lot i mean that was uh Octavius spencer for hidden figures you know and the shape of wa- shape of water really it's like I well
3: mean. and and um you had a ben affleck movie and every ben affleck movie needs to get one supporting nomination right because you had amy ryan for gone baby gone you had jeremy renner for the town alan arkin for argo i mean it, it happened for his first three movies that he directed
1: well, this whole year was sort of wide open because of Argo and they didn't get the director nomination. I remember thinking the director race this year was the most I had, like the most wide open I've ever seen. Because I thought that the front runner going in was probably uh, uh, ha- uh, Michelle Haneke. Mm. But I don't know. Like, I mean, like everything was just sort of like in flux other than best actor, of course.
3: Yeah, um, I, I think another one to compare this to is the 2015 supporting actor race, where yeah. I mean we we always joke about Mark
2: Rylance. There were yeah. only three potential winners in that category, but that was anyone's guess. Christian Bale and Alan
1: Arkin, those those have a lot in common in that in the in those yeah. races, I guess. So, we, so t- we
2: watched the 2012 Oscars in Vegas, didn't we? No, we no that was 2011. 2011. <laughs> okay.
3: So, so Todd, you're the you're the uh, the Oscar guru here, and uh, this is a year we actually did have you you did have your uh, your picks posted. Um, so I want to go back and and look at some of these and I was see a novice. you did. You you were a bit of a novice. However, uh, we go back. You your first article came out in March, and you did have Philip Seymour Hoffman for the master in there. Your number six was Robert De Niro for Silver Silver Lining's playbook. Um, uh on the list. Were there any others? No, no others were on the list. Um, but you were pretty consistent that I mean everyone said that that year the front runner was Leonardo DiCaprio for Django and Chain. And then he ends up getting snubbed for his co-star, Christoph Waltz. Um, but he uh you had him as number one uh from the start, and you continued and had him. In the in the five, even down to your final prediction. So, who else was kind of in the running? Would you say for these spots?
1: Well, I mean, I the the, the other one that was nominated for SAG, I believe, was Javier Bardem for Skyfall, which was uh, another that's like would have been a validation nomination, and but he had to have been really close because that was a really memorable villain role, and they they at the time they loved doing that. Well,
3: he already had a validation nomination though, because what he got nominated. And beautiful. Oh, beautiful, Right. But the the fact that it was another villain, I think, yeah, that definitely speaks to that. But All the right, one the else? one
1: that everyone thought was gonna happen was Matthew McConaughey and Magic Mike, which this is the start of the reconnaissance. And the year after, of course, he has like four movies come out and he gets wins best actor. But I mean Magic Mike was the movie that was supposed to get him nominated.
3: Yeah. Um I found it interesting, especially as I was going through this, you said that there was, this was kind of the consensus five. Um, there, there weren't a whole lot of, of outsiders looking in. Um, as I was trying to f- find, okay, who else was in this race? There weren't a lot of others in this race besides like those two that you said that we've mentioned, Leo and Javier Bardem and, and, and McConaughey. Like that was it. No, no one else really had a shot. Uh, it felt like so. um
1: De Niro was the surprise nomination, really, because he, he had missed a lot of the precursors, but you kind of had to think that, like, that movie was so popular that it was... it was. I mean, it ended up overperforming anyway. It got four nominations acting.
3: Yeah. Alright. Well, that kind of gives you some background into the 2012 Best Supporting Actor race. Those five that we mentioned are not eligible for our list, so, so no... Uh no no arkin no de niro no hoffman no jones no waltz so knowing that let's look at who we have as our top five uh best supporting actors from that year Uh, i'm gonna go first because i haven't gone first in a while i will say this was actually really really difficult it was a lot harder than i thought it was going to be um 2012 was not one of my Better years for just film watching in general. I had a list that uh, I watched fifty six movies up to this point, fifty six movies in twenty twelve, which is one of my lower lower uh, counts for the last like twenty years or so. And and going through the list, I'm like, there aren't a ton of memorable supporting actor performances that I could think of from the movies that I had seen. So it was kind of hard to come up with some good ones to talk about. Uh, but I, I think I like my list. I, I think I've got a good list here. So, my number five that I am going with is, um, is, and, and is uh, Stanley Tucci from the Hunger Games.
1: Wow, wow, yeah, Tucci from the Hunger Games.
3: Yeah, Stanley <laughs> okay. Tucci from the Hunger Games. Uh, I he is one of those guys that always has just amazing, iconic performances and he's he's one that can do so many different things i mean this is when did he get nominated for the lovely bones it was right around here wasn't it oh nine um and now here he is i mean playing a basically a talk show game show type guy uh and he he's brilliant in this and he's brilliant in everything and the fact that he only has one nomination for playing a creeper child molester and murderer is kind of ridiculous and he he needed to get he needs to get more recognition for the amazing actor he is and this is honestly one of his more memorable performances i would say and he kind of steals every scene that he's in the few scenes that he has and so yeah my number five is stanley tucci for the hunger games
2: i respect the pick that that is a bold pick my friend that is like alex garland in the last <laughs> 20 minutes of Men. um first of all as we noted, Stanley Tucci also gave Ving Rames his name, as we talked about already. So that yes. gives him some let's credibility. Let's keep bringing that up. Um, <laughs> I love The Hunger Games. Originally, it was my number one of 2012, and it still it shows up on, on the website. 20, well, I, I, okay, Well, let's stick to Stanley Tucci. I'll go to my rant in a second. But I, I love The Hunger Games. It's not the role I would have picked from The Hunger Games or the Stanley Tucci supporting role I would have picked because a year earlier he was in Margin Call, which he was brilliant in. And as happens on this list, I guess, uh, it happened with a few other actors. I kind of look at Stanley Tucci and I think well, Margin Call was his best supporting actor movie. So I don't know. It kind of feels like Hunger Games is an afterthought to that a little bit.
3: I mean, he could have been nominated for Margin Call. He could have been nominated for the Devil Wears Prada. True. He could have been nominated for this. Um, I think he was brilliant last year in um, it Trust, the, um, the 9-11 movie with Michael Keaton. I thought he was brilliant in that as well. I mean, he is he's brilliant in everything he's in. And the fact that he's only been actually recognized for it once is kind of criminal. That was my choice for
1: Vito Corleone, if you remember. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's not bad.
2: He's also yeah. Bro- that's
1: not what you said back then, but you don't remember that. <laughs> he's
2: also the brother-in-law of John Krasinski. What? What? I, I yeah. Mean... yeah, He's he's married to Emily Blunt's sister. I guess you could also say he's the brother-in-law of Emily Blunt. Did you guys that's know that? I did not know that. Yeah, he learns the more you know. He was also that that one
3: movie. It was it was not a great movie, but was it Supernova? oh
2: yeah i remember that he was
3: great in that movie the movie wasn't that good but he was great
2: has he ever been bad though i don't think so after the lovely bones that's probably his worst performance ironically it's possible (laughs) all right well zach you go next i i respect the pick great pick uh great list great idea for a list 2012 is the wrong year though my friend i mean 2012 (laughs) supporting actor is a weak year it's like a weak vintage of wine. I, I don't really That's know. why what I'm to curious from. what we're gonna come up with because the, the five were there. Like
1: those were the five. So
2: yeah, I like the idea. And I mean, I guess, you know, like I said earlier, I wouldn't have nominated any of the five that were nominated. So I guess I guess that justifies it. it this was a tough list to come up with, though. Adam's list was all actually in some ways, Adam's list was easier to come up yeah, with. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um but, uh, I went with some unconventional choices. 2012 is a weird year. I had the hunger games as my number one movie of the year, which is the most unzacked number one movie of all time for any year. I don't know if I would still have it. Okay. No, actually I wouldn't have it. I will tell you the movie I have as my number one of 2012 now later on in this list, because I have a supporting actor from that movie, but my number five pick to start out, we all know that comedy is, uh, uh, healing the world with comedy as Bo Burnham said, uh, Can tell what I've been watching lately is uh, very hard to do, doesn't get represented by the Oscars much. um, And uh, there were several great comedic roles in 2012. Um, There was a man who was just coming out as a great comedic actor in 2012 on a show named Parks and Rec. His name was Chris Pratt. And he was in a movie also in 2012 called The Five Year Engagement. And that is my number five best supporting actor nominee. He is hilarious in that movie. I don't know if you guys were watching, but I actually muted myself. I was watching his scene as you guys were talking about the Oscars. I was watching the scene where he's singing at the wedding in a song called Cucurucho Paloma, which he sing- sings entirely in Spanish. Uh, it's tremendous. Uh, he's hilarious in it. He also has a great song where he roasts Jason Segel for all the girls that he's over the years. Great, great uh, uh, montage sequence in that movie. This was the movie. I remember Chris Pratt. This was Chris Pratt's coming out party. Like, he had already. Well, he had been great on Parks and Rec. And I think we had known him for a few other things. But this was the movie that I was like, damn, I came to this movie for Jason Segel. I kind of am leaving this movie with Chris Pratt. I mean, he's my guy. He's awesome in this movie. And this is fat Chris Pratt. This was pre-Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt. He steals every single scene that he's in. And by the way, Five Year Engagement, very underrated comedy from the early 2000s, uh, 2010s. Love that movie. We should deep dive it at some point. But he kind of steals the show in that movie. He takes the thunder away from all the a- other actors because of how much energy and, and dynamic persona he has it's kind of an it's kind of like a Jack Black role in, in a way he's tremendous in it and he's my number five.
1: Yeah, the, the one song he sings is like set to "We Didn't Start the Fire," right? Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah, yeah. All the all the girls that he's hooked up with, yeah, great, great moment. Just yeah, I, 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 yeah, I honestly thought about that as an honorable mention, so I'm glad you <laughs> you mentioned that. I, I did not think that was ever going to come up. I remember liking that movie, but I don't remember like
3: anything about it i need to watch it again because kind of a great, I, kind
2: of the funniest movie of 2012 i mean if we're talking like pure belly laughs like i mean i loved i love this is 40 you guys know that but i love the five-year engagement
3: so the other thing the other funny thing is it wasn't chris pratt's only coming out party in 2012 well,
2: of course not and, and another big movie big right well, movie.
3: well and you and you said you said you know this is still fat chris pratt well that ended when he was in zero dark 30
2: because he killed osama bin laden in the same year and yeah. that gives him credibility
3: there you go. There you go. I was,
2: he was not- already, He's a- he was already Scott Haddeberg. He was already in Wanted.
1: Like, I mean, he was already a thing at this point. Everyone, I mean, five year engagement is Dark. a
3: great, is a great shout out. But I mean, Zero Dark 30 is what everyone points to is like, ooh, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt can be a leading man because of what he was able to do in, in that. But good pick. Good pick. All right, Todd, number five.
1: Okay. My number five is, uh, I'm going with a movie. We talked about it. I believe it was like last year. It, uh, it's uh, Michael Pena in End of Watch.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: he plays Mike uh, Zavala, who's the partner or best friend thing of uh, J- Jake Gyllenhaal's Brian. And uh, we, the they, they're trying to make Michael Peña happen basically since like crash. But I mean, this is, I think his best performance and uh, he and Hall like live in this movie. Like they're, they're these two cops that are like living the beat life. They love that shit. They live for that shit. And Hall is acting his ass off as always, but like it's um, Michael Peña's is the more grounded one. And I think he's brilliant and it's his intensity, but also his persona that makes this movie like a, just a breathless movie and like a cop movie masterpiece. And I I I'd previously said this was one of my spoiler top 5 death uh, scenes of the 2010s and I it's because Michael Peña is so great. Uh, it's a it's a phenomenal performance and I this is actually did get him a, a couple of nominations along the way so I'm happy to see that.
3: Yeah, I considered some I I thought about End of Watch, but I would consider them more co-leads than than Michael Peña being supporting.
2: <clears throat> so Michael Peña was my original winner in Best Supporting Actor 2012, I have no recollection of that movie. Yeah, because I had Terry watch it and you didn't watch it again. I mean, I don't know if it's my fault. I guess I blame myself. But if I can't remember the movie or the role, it probably doesn't deserve to be a winner. But I've always been a fan of Michael Pena. And uh, I do remember liking the movie a lot. In fact, I had it on my top 10 list that year. Um, If you watch it again, I guarantee you would re insert it into your content we, we were we were a fan of that movie on this podcast but we didn't do podcasts back then so True. we True. didn't talk about it on the website, <laughs> it <was> on, the <laughs> website. on the website the website's in inter- i'm looking at it right now the website is very interesting you got, got we got some interesting movies on there and we've got a top 100 terry pick as his number 10 movie in the yeah Avengers. i know I know. I I, <laughs> I probably need
3: to re- reevaluate. that. Oh, yeah, but
2: it's a, a bit. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's a weird list that probably needs some serious reevaluation.
3: So uh, I've I mentioned it before. My top 10 of the year is based purely on like the score I give it. But the way I did my top 100 is I just took all my four star movies that I'd ever given and like handpicked my favorites. So that's that's more the difference between the two lists. Top gun. <laughs> Top gun. god help us all right my number four uh i'm pretty sure it's the only time this movie is going to come up because it is a very very terry movie we bought um, a zoo and it's one that it's one that um it's actually a performance todd mentioned on his long list of potential oscar nominees which i don't remember him ever being a part of the conversation but hey i'll go with it but i really love this performance and it's eddie redmayne and les miserables um, oh, wow! You can you can say all you want about that movie. By the way, I love the movie because more because I love the source material, and it's kind of hard to screw it up. Uh, Russell Crowe tried it all, with all his might, but uh, I actually don't mind him in that movie. But the the standout, the breakout, the uh, the best thing about that movie was by far Eddie Redmayne, and what Ronnie he was Hathaway? able. To... No, no. And Hathaway has one song, and she dies. Um, and spoiler, and, and spoiler I, alert, Jeez. spoiler. I, it's a half hour into the movie. I'm not really spoiling anything here. <laughs> the show's been out for forty years, um, but uh, what what Eddie Redmayne brings to the role of Marius, which is kind of a thankless role and kind of overlooked in every other, in in like the stage production he makes unforgettable and his performance of empty chairs and empty tables near the end of the movie is brilliant and unforgettable and um and yeah definitely makes him worthy of being on this list so uh my number four eddie redmayne lame is
1: i'm trying to think why i would have had eddie redmayne on my list because i am yeah he didn't get any nominations but he was in like My Week with Marilyn, right? Wasn't he the lead in that movie? Yeah,
3: he he was the he was the bodyguard. Yeah.
1: So that that maybe I thought that there was like a moment happening, which obviously it did. So I've I never. Seen you were just I a guess. couple
2: years early. You've never seen Les Mis? No, nope, I avoided it like the plague that year. It, w- and, it wasn't uh, great. I don't regret it. Amanda I would say. Seyfried. Good. Yeah, uh, Amanda Seyfried was, was. I don't watch Hugh Jackson decent. musicals. It's not really my thing.
3: I mean, this This is one that's built for Hugh Jackman, though. I mean, he's built to be Jean Valjean. Um, it was like the first one oh, that sure. actually
1: had live music, right?
3: Yeah, where where it was actually the performance on, on set was what they recorded and had in the movie. Right. Um, the standouts in it were, were Eddie Redmayne and Samantha Barks, who played Eponine. Listen,
2: um, if I'm going to watch a Tom Hooper musical, it's going to be Cats, okay? Let's be honest. Well, there you
3: go. There you
0: go.
2: I will say
3: uh that um uh Russell Crowe in this is kind of similar to like how you would picture like Gerard Butler in Fan of the Opera. I I mean it, it's unconventional, but if you're able to <clears throat> if you're able to like take it for what it is, it's it really like Johnny Depp is,
1: and Sweeney Todd. It's
3: actually effective. Now, Johnny oh. Depp and Sweeney Todd is kind of brilliant. That
2: could, I know, also but, but it's not the what you expect of, of, yeah. of men.
3: Well, there is that. All right, unconventional and effective. Four. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, I, I mean, what'd you say? I said that could describe the last fifteen minutes of men. Oh.
3: <laughs> <Unconventionally> <laughs> yet unconventional, yet unconventional but okay. effective.
2: Um. All right. Uh, my number four is so I decided to just completely revamp my list because I can't. Re- Twenty twelve. I mean, we're talking about a different era. You know, different different uh, time of life. Uh, back when I was young and innocent. Um, and uh, I, I did keep one, though. I kept one of my original supporting actors in a performance that I remember, I think. And that is a from a movie from the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, he was in it. He didn't direct it or anything. It is a movie called A Late Quartet. And uh, oh, nice. I, don't, I, I don't think anyone else liked this movie except for me. I don't know, Terry, if you've seen it. But nope. it is about a, uh, a string quartet, and the quartet is Philip Seymour Hoffman, Katherine Keener, Christopher Walken, and my number four Best Supporting Actor nominee from 2012, Mark Ivanier. And uh, the movie kind of details how Christopher Plummer is going into retirement. And how uh, what is going to happen? Because he's basically this avuncular figure on, in in this quartet that has a lot of personal drama and a lot of uh, envy and jealousy. Uh, Catherine Keener and Philip Seymour Hoffman are married, but he is philanderous. Um, and Mark Ivanir is this kind of I don't want to say boy genius because I think he's actually older than anybody uh, th- than them, but he uh, he's sort of like the prodigy of the quartet. And in the movie he actually embarks on an affair with Imogene po- Poots. Um, and uh, I, I don't really remember that part so much. I do remember the movies kind of was kind of soapy. I don't know how well it would hold up. but what I remember about um, Mark Ivanir, who by the way, according to Wikipedia can speak six languages, very interesting. He just possessed this aura of a badass violinist. You know, actually, I can't remember what his instrument was, but it was a string instrument and he was a badass. Okay, like I know Todd likes that movie about the string orchestra in the 40s. Like this guy was like the greatest musician. It's so clear watching the movie that he is so far and above all the rest of them in terms of his musical um, prodigy and just his intelligence the others are low-key a little intimidated by him because of what a genius he is and uh he's cold and distant like most geniuses he's got a very Orson Welles Citizen Kane vibe going on that he knows he's a genius and he has no problem telling people about his genius and I just like movies like I like movies about geniuses um and uh like I said, I, I remember watching the movie. I liked the movie. I wish the movie had been more about him. And uh, I don't know why he, this actor doesn't get more work, but I remember being a big fan of this movie and a big fan of him in particular. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was good in one of his last roles. But but Mar- like Chris Pratt, I guess, Mark Avonier, I, I go into the movie thinking it's a Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. I leave the movie thinking Mark Avonier kind of stole the show in it.
1: What's What string orchestra movie are you talking about that I like?
2: The one with the conductor, Uh, you know, unfaithfully yours. Is that it? Yeah. I guess that's not string, (laughs) but music. Yay, music. Hello.
3: I I listened
2: to a really interesting
3: episode of the You Must Remember This podcast this week that talked about uh, unfaithfully yours. There we go. How Rex Harrison was having an affair with a with a young uh, up up and coming actress while he was uh, filming that movie, who committed suicide soon after.
2: Well, that's a that's a downer. Yeah, Terry, have you? What was it? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I think you'd like it. I don't know if Todd. I I'd have to look up our review. I don't think Todd loved it, but I think you'd like it. I I it it has a lot to say about competitiveness and ego. And when you know that you're a great musician, how that kind of like makes other people sort of like repel against you.
1: Website shows, I gave it two and a half stars. You gave it three and a half. I do remember the movie and I do remember liking the performances. And there was yeah. another movie called Quartet that came yeah, out. Not like, the right Dustin
2: Hoffman yeah. Quartet. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. yeah. Almost around the same time. I fell asleep watching that movie. That was not good. That was old people playing violins. We don't need that.
3: So, so the actress's name was Carol Landis oh okay and uh and yeah what was interesting about it is is Rex Harrison is actually the one that found her so he couldn't deny the fact that he was having an affair with her and so like it was like an and be, it became like publicly known that he was that he was having this this relationship anyways interesting that like episode.
1: Hollywood stories
3: they're, they're, yeah. that's why I love the you must remember this podcast it's amazing Juicy. all right that that let's move on Todd number four. <laughs>
1: All right, now and the, from here on, I realize it's just a toddler. So uh, we're going to start <laughs> yes. here. Number number four, Mark Duplass, safety not guaranteed. <laughs> uh, he plays he plays this guy named Kenneth, who's a seemingly like crazy man who puts an ad up in the paper saying that he built a time machine and was a travel partner. Um, it's directed by Colin Trevorrow, uh, has Jake Johnson and Aubrey Plaza. I really need to watch this movie again. Apparently, yeah, like, I that, do. Too. That is as taught of a movie as you're going to ever describe. Uh, Duplass has a very specific type he's like a I always describe him as a Mahoney type he has this aura about him <laughs> especially in that era where he's a little douchey he's a little likable and but he's set apart from every other actor in his generation because you he believes and embodies the words that he speaks in his performances and th- this movie would not work if he did not believe that he actually had built a time machine it should have been like this silly, judgmental thing, kind of like a, a little <laughs> offensive, but it's not. It's endearing, it's sad, and funny. And it's because Mark Duplass makes it work. And he's uh, absolutely one of the best
2: performances of that year. Very nice. Great pick.
3: Very nice. Yeah, I need to watch that movie again. Tom. I like
2: how it's just evolving into a Todd list. Early, <laughs> early on, number four <laughs> pick.
1: Well, I was just looking at the four, three, two, and 1 I was like, yeah. <laughs> I could have branched out a little bit but no, I don't need to.
3: So I was just looking through my, my 2012 list and uh, seeing what else was on there seeing if I could pull any other names out. And I came across uh, a festival watch that Todd and I had uh, that was a 2012 movie. Todd, do you remember Off-White Lies? The Israeli movie?
1: I, I remember seeing it. Yeah, I don't remember much about it. Is I don't that the remember one? No, about it I'm thinking about 111 girls. I do remember Off-White lies, but
3: Yeah. I remember I remember it, it existed. Yeah, so it I, it's like a father and his daughter during the 2006 war between Israel and Lebanon. Like they're on a road trip or something.
1: Oh, okay. I do remember yeah. that. Anyways.
3: Good times. All right. Number 3 <laughs> on my list is <laughs> um the, the one thing that's kind of nice about this is I've, I'm watching a lot of uh, a lot of movies from from that year because of my Oscar watches. And so this is a movie I watched earlier this year uh, because it was nominated somewhere else. Uh, but I think uh, the standout in the movie was more uh, the person I have nominated here. So no, my number three is uh, Tom Holland in The
2: Impossible. Oh, Yes. I would have put money on that because you, you talked about him. You loved Tom I did. Holland in this I movie. I did. He As stole the movie. He horrible stole movie. The, whole the movie. It is a horrible movie.
3: It, yeah, it's not a great movie, but he steals he steals the movie. And he is really the focal point of most of the movie. Uh, the Naomi Watts nomination is kind of ridiculous, and I don't think she necessarily deserved it. Um, she, she has some interesting points, but the, the emotional core of this movie is Tom Holland. And he shows very early on in in his in his career that uh, that he was going to be something big, and sure enough, now he's like one of the best leading mans we have out there right now. But uh, him in The Impossible from ten years ago is is pretty brilliant. And regardless what you think of the movie, I think I ended up giving it three stars just simply because of what he does in this movie. So Tom Holland in The Impossible, that's what I'm going with for number three.
2: I can dig it. i I do remember liking him in that it was it was a breakout role for sure yeah i did not remember him in that movie until you mentioned it oh there you go todd no not todd zach number three all right so this is where we get into some controversy so this was 2012 was uh the year before her we all loved her it was in todd's top 10 of the year The big conversation piece about her, the big think piece, shall we say, for Rolling Stone magazine was uh, should we nominate Scarlett Johansson for Best Supporting Actress for a vocal performance only? And to that I say there was a great vocal performance only in a 2012 movie. It was not Scarlett Johansson. You know where this is going, Todd. It was in a movie that I loved. Todd was not a fan of. According to our records Terry has not seen it. I feel like it's an assignment coming up. It is a movie called Compliance and the supporting <laughs> actor in the movie is none other than the amazing Pat Healy. Okay. So in Compliance it takes it is a real it is a true story. It's based on a true story and it takes place at a McDonald's or something like a McDonald's. And uh, the movie is all about uh, how this caller basically calls into McDonald's and starts messing with people. And he claims that he is an officer and he claims that uh, there has been a a theft and that he is going to arrest people. Now, of course, there's no credibility behind this guy, but the employees of the restaurant uh, respond to his voice and his tenor, which is why I think it's a great performance. And then eventually he, uh, they get a girl on the phone. And her name is Becky. She's played by Dreama Walker. And he really starts messing with her. He, he uh, does some things that are appalling and crude. And the movie is absolutely fascinating in its view of psychology and warped human psychology about how people... Uh, comply with who they assume is someone that is superior and someone who is a law enforcement authority, someone with credibility. And these people just keep degrading themselves willingly to this voice on the other end of the phone who is, I don't know, getting his kicks on, I guess. It's like there's no camera involved. There's no facial, facial recognition or anything. Um, you know, the, the main performance in the movie is Ann Dowd. We all loved Ann Dowd in Mass from last year, but this was kind of her breakout role and she's a manager of the McDonald's, and she is just, uh, she completely um, hook, sink, and ladder to this guy. As she uh, falls for all of, for all of his foils, and does nothing to resist, and it's totally compliant with him. It's a fascinating study of human nature. It's a movie I absolutely loved, and Pat Healy as the voice on the other end, quote unquote, Officer Daniels. Is brilliant. This is one of the great vocal performances, rivaling Scarlett Johansson and her coming next year of any movie in the 2010s. I have no idea why Todd doesn't like it. Terry, you should see it, and it's my number three pick.
1: It's a good pick, but yeah, I mean, the movie overall didn't didn't entirely work for me. But I, I respected what i was going for. I like his I like his later movies more.
3: I had a I had a vocal performance on my honorable mentions, but it wasn't that one. It was Seth MacFarlane for Ted. Yeah, I have oh, that on nice. honorable mentions nice. too. Yeah. All right, Todd number
1: three. Yeah, I my mean, number three. Uh, we mentioned this movie a few weeks back, probably. uh it is Aaron Paul in Smashed. Uh he plays Charlie, who's married to Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Kate, an alcoholic man and wife. And again, a very Todd movie. Uh it's a it's a it's a funny movie at times, but it's also like Zach had said on our podcast, the days of wine and roses of our generation kind of uh He's essentially playing Jesse Pinkman. Maybe it's a a spiritual sequel to El Camino. I don't know. I mean, you could see him being this kind of character in the future, but he has a few scenes that absolutely rip your heart out. And because at his most unlikable spots, Aaron Paul is still able to help you root for him. And I don't know why, but he just has that. Maybe it's Breaking Bad. I don't know. But he's genuinely great here. And I think he and Mary Elizabeth Winston both deserve nominations at the least. They are
2: they're both incredible and that's Aaron Paul is my number 3 have havenn't seen it Aaron Paul is tremendous in that movie uh he's not he he would be an honorable mention for me because kind of what you said it's sort of a repeat of Jesse Pinkman to a certain extent but everybody everybody in that movie is tremendous and uh it's a great call by you Todd thank you All right.
1: dive, I guess.
3: Number two on my list. um, I'm going a little more conventional here, uh, but it's because it's a great performance. Number two is Javier Bardem for Skyfall.
2: Um, (laughs) Nice. I mean, where is it was going to be? It was going to be mentioned.
3: It's got to be mentioned because I, Javier Bardem is just great at these villains. Now, is it Anton Chigurh? No, it's not Anton Chigurh. Uh, Is it, is it, kind of close i mean sort of he he gives a, a brilliant performance he's probably the best villain of the daniel craig bond era um and it's the best villain in the best movie of the daniel craig bond era so uh he uh he definitely deserves mentioning here and the fact that he was actually in the conversation for possibly getting a uh getting an oscar nomination for playing a bond villain. Uh, just shows how how much of a powerhouse he was in this movie. So number two, Javier Bardem for Skyfall.
1: I love the pick. Obviously, it's the top one hundred movie of all time. Um, it's he, uh, yeah, he is absolutely creepy, and and it, the the character's motives fit the actual uh, diabolical nature of his performance and just the aura of Javier Bardem. It's a it's a great great pick.
3: Well Thank you. All right,
2: Zach, number two. We we know that Todd is a fan of this movie because he included it in his top 10 of the decade list, which is impressive, I guess. I don't know, question mark. <laughs> um, all right, my number two pick comes from a movie that has already been mentioned on in this list, but it is a different performance from this movie. The movie is Smashed. The performance is not Aaron Paul. <laughs> the performance Offerman. is Nick Offerman from wow a couple a couple a couple scenes he is incredible yeah nick offerman in this movie is amazing uh nick offerman plays the sympathetic co-worker of mary elizabeth winstead who by the way is my best actress winner from 2012 no longer katniss aberdeen however good her performance was uh but he plays dave davies great film name by the way and he is the assistant principal at the school that Mary Elizabeth Winstead works at and he is on to her. He recognizes right away the signs of uh alcoholic dependency because he is a recovering alcoholic himself and he offers to take her to a meetings while well, at the same time having kind of having an agenda of his own, shall we say? I won't spoil it because it is unfathomable that Terry has not seen this movie. Smashed is my number one of 2012. Smashed wow. is an unbelievably great movie. Uh I've had the uh luxury of having re-watched it lately. Uh I ordered it on Blu-ray. Uh what a movie. I don't think I recognized its greatness when I first saw it. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters. I saw, I don't know where I saw it. I think I rented it on Redbox or something. Um, it is an absolutely incredible movie with one of the great performances of the decade in Mary Elizabeth Winstead. James Ponsoldt's direction is astonishing, but Nick Offerman in this movie, as much as I respect the Aaron Paul pick, I think that's in a way sort of an easier role to play—is the alcoholic husband who is not into the whole AA thing. I think what is much more tricky is this character who is morally complex. He has agendas. He's her boss in a lot of ways. He knows information about her. Is he conniving? Is he sympathetic? Uh, I don't know, but it's kind of a great role. And Nick Offerman has that great Nick Offerman laugh in this movie, <laughs> which is great. Um, he, his scenes with Mary Elizabeth Winstead are amazing. Um, his wife in the movie. Uh, well, he's not his wife, in the movie, but real life wife, Megan Mullally. She's the principal of the school. Uh, he's awesome. And, Really, I just wanted to mention this movie because of how great it is. But if there's a single uh, supporting male performance in it, uh, I, I guess I got to go with Nick, Nick Offerman. But um, I love the movie in general. So it, it would be my number one of 2012 at this point. You, you should like reevaluate your whole list now and just send me. I should. One. We need to deep dive this movie at some point in the next, what, seven months.
1: So I'm saying we should just redo this entire year.
2: It is a shame that... Ter- well, it's perfect that Terry hasn't seen it, because then he'll give his fresh opinion. But, I mean, Todd, come on. We were just talking about Days of Wine and Roses. I'm drinking alcohol right here. But, like, Smashed is an absolutely amazing, fantastic movie. Yeah, you know I mean, James
1: Ponsoldt, his first three movies were all next-level alcoholism movies.
2: And they uh, Smashed
1: is probably the most lifelike of them. <laughs>
3: What we need to do is we need to go back to like pre podcast era stuff and just like reveal our top tens in a podcast of of years back. So I'm saying
1: we should do our top 10 and our, and our, have a whole, have a whole episode devoted to that year. Do our our lists and our top tens and whatever.
3: Yeah like start with 2012 and then we could do 2002 maybe go back to 92 i don't know maybe we could see i mean we could
1: maybe we could just do 97 or whatever oh yeah
3: then do 97 something like that yeah i like it i like it okay todd number two
1: okay this is where we get leonardo dicaprio in django unchained which is he plays calvin candy the Vicious, devious, low-key, charming slave runner in Tarantino's what uh, Western epic, which also was uh, mentioned on my top five worst performances in four star movies, which was Tarantino's performance. Yeah, uh,
2: but uh, <laughs> no more Australian accent. <laughs> Leo
1: absolutely goes for it. Like he famously now has been revealed that he sliced the hell out of his hand during a scene and kept going and adding to the absolute shock of everybody in the room. Uh, he's. I don't know. He's become he's become as I guess memeable as any character in the uh, since that has become a thing. He uh, it's the only supporting role he's had since like the '90s, I think. And uh, I think it's as much of a departure from what he does as anything he's ever done. He channel he's channeled the energy since then, but this was like batshit crazy what he was doing when it came out. This should have been his Oscar role because. This was the thing that he did that was f- so far away from his like, Scorsese movies, from everything else he was doing at the time, and he is unbelievable, and I'll-, I'll never forget the first time I watched that movie. I was just like, Leo, best actor in the world. He's my number two. Yeah,
3: that's a good call. Um, uh, Such a good call, it's my number one. So, uh, nice. yeah um and and it's it's ridiculous he got snubbed uh because it it's like you said it it's it might be his best performance because it's that moment where he decided you know what screw it i don't care anymore i'm just gonna go out there and have some fun and he got a role that he could do so much with and he could just eat up the scenery he could eat up the screen and he milks it for everything it's worth, and and just steals the entire movie. Th- this is one of the problems I have with 2012. The problem I have with 2012 is Christoph Waltz won for not even the best pers- uh, supporting actor performance. He's, he's in a his lead. Own that's movie. the
1: problem. Christoph Waltz is the lead in that movie. Like he's you know, even yeah. more lead than, than Jamie Fox.
3: That that's fair. But I I I. I almost have this like disdain for christoph waltz's performance in that just simply because for whatever reason the academy decided that was deemed better than what leo was doing when leo is doing something that he's never done before like he's he's the villain well, you said
1: the same thing about he jack and off the departed.
3: rails uh, yeah yeah I, I mean it's it's a very similar thing uh but yeah leo he he was the best of that year and it, i i remember being shocked and bummed when he got snubbed because this, you're right. This was his Oscar, his Oscar movie. This was his Oscar chance and said he got it for as baity of a role as he ever did. Like give me the Oscar, please. in the Revenant.
1: Oh, but, that was um, Jager.
3: Eh, that's true. That was just Jagger. <laughs> Valid point. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's, it's as good as he, he could be. And, uh, and yeah, it was the best of the year. So that's my number one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with you. It, it probably should be my number one. Probably And Zach's
2: should. number one. Well, Zach, what do you well, have? Well, funny you say that because my number one is also Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained. And <laughs> I, I think this is just the great unsaid thing. I mean, this is obviously the best performance in the supporting at category that year. I guess the question I asked myself was how much of this was the fact that Leon, Leonardo DiCaprio had not won an Oscar yet? He was overdue by 2012. How much of it is Tarantino? How much of it is that it's such a rich, uh, well-written role? Uh, he steals the show in it. And yeah, how much of it is it that, that Christoph Waltz, uh, who had already won an Oscar by that point for a more memorable, better performance in many ways, uh, how much of that is... I undeserved is not the word, I guess, because Christoph Waltz, it's not his fault. I mean, he's, he's good in the movie. He's serviceable. I don't know if I'd call him the lead. I, I just wouldn't nominate him. I mean, he's hes fine in the movie. Uh, but uh, its I think it's one of the strangest decisions in Oscar history to not nominate Leo and instead nominate Christoph Waltz. Uh, it's, it's absolutely on par with Jack Nicholson and, and Mark Wahlberg. It uh, makes no sense, but... Um, I also take take up, I think actually Leo is quite good in The Revenant, so I really don't have any problems with him winning for, for that. I, I don't. I wouldn't call that Oscar bait. I actually thought that was a really good role. But it's so obvious that if, if Leo had been nominated in 2012, he would have won. It's, there's, there's no contest. I, I'm maybe not that's saying... the reason that he didn't yeah. get nominated. I, I don't know. There's some maybe some conspiracy going on, but it's obvious.
3: Yeah, I'm not saying he's bad in The Revenant. I'm just saying it, it was... It was much more of a of a uh of an Oscar friendly movie and an Oscar friendly performance than uh than Django was.
2: Leo um, should have two Oscars. He should have an well, maybe, maybe even more, but he should have an Oscar for this movie. And it's, well, it's sort of, it's sort of unfathomable that he doesn't.
3: And this is kind of an era where they were they were into screwing over Leo because uh you go back to 06 mean, and he was nominated for the wrong movie. I mean, there was no way he was yeah. gonna win for Blood Diamond, but yeah. He might have had a shot if he was nominated for The Departed, um, but they
1: put him supporting in SAG, and that that screwed him up there.
3: <laughs> Which is just insane.
2: I mean, listen, Leo yeah. made some bad movies. He made The Beach. He made that was a long time so ago. Movie... Well, that's what I'm saying. Get over it, Oscars. Come on, that was 12 years ago. Body of was Lies was the last bad movie he made, right? It, I mean, it's and... like it was so it was so passe. Of course, the Oscars are always behind the times, but like that that move by snubbing him was a total indication that they were so behind the times
1: well yeah it's going to be it's going to be he's going to be like Paul Newman where you know it's like was like how did he not win an oscar in this like 20 year period where he was the best actor in the world and it's like he won for this movie that I was like okay i mean he was great obviously but why
3: <laughs> how close was he to winning for uh, the aviator do you think i mean Jamie Foxx ran away with that race that year but he he had to be number 2 right
2: he was the Golden Globe winner, right? Yeah, well, he's certainly uh, better than Paul Giamatti, who they didn't even nominate. I mean, if we're <laughs> if we're going to look at the credibility of the Oscars, the four Best Actor is not a great uh, barometer. That's a valid point. Yeah, he he had to he had to be close, but
3: that that was the first
2: time where you they know, Johnny Depp though. I mean Johnny Depp as JM Barry. Oh hey, don't, man, don't bash you know, that performance. I love that performance. performance. That's
3: a top one hundred movie for me.
2: <laughs> so is the Avengers. It's where's true. the Avengers on it's your true. list, Terry? Where's 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 Robert Downey Jr. in the Avengers?
3: You know, I was thinking about that. If anyone was going to make it from that, it was going to be Tom Hiddleston. So
2: nice. Here we go.
3: All right, Todd, tell us who you think is possibly better. There's than no Leo one
2: better than Leo. That's well, why I said good. it's a Todd list. This is
1: Edward Norton, Moonrise Kingdom. Oh yeah! Oh wow! I remember you saying that. He plays a Scout Master Ward, and. uh I don't know. I previously mentioned Ed Norton for those keeping track at home uh, on my performances by Matt Damon's co-stars uh, for Rounders, but uh, I don't know. So in, by 2012, for those keeping track at home, <laughs> um, uh, for those keeping know, score at home. Aside from like his failed experiment that was actually really good, Death of Like I think Ed Norton had never actually tried to be silly in any of his movies. So his partnership with Wes Anderson came at the perfect time because he was, like, coming off his whole like, incredible Hulk thing. But it's also confusing because this is not anything, like, he has ever done. It's just a testament to how grave an actor he is. Like, he's like, oh, well, I, th- I think he flew the coop. You know, like, he like he settles into this, like, nice, well-meaning Boy Scout leader so perfectly that it's hard to picture Edward Norton in any part of that role like because he completely disappears he doesn't necessarily do anything to stand out. I think Bruce Willis actually got a spirit nomination that year from that movie. But uh, I, I think it's as astonishing of a departure from what you would expect from an actor to do as I've ever seen from the, I, I saw the movie in a, in a theater by myself. There is not a single other person in there. It's the only time it's ever happened. And, but I watched, I was watching that performance. So I was like, that is my supporting actor winner for this year. And it never changed, but it probably should be Leo it should be
2: it should be be. that's ridiculous I would have nominated three other actors as supporting actor in that movie before Edward Norton I I would have not I would have nominated the kid I would have nominated Bill Murray and Bruce Willis whatever which is a movie I like by the way maybe my favorite Wes Anderson movie I
3: I just watched Moonrise Kingdom recently I did put Edward Norton on my honorable mentions but not not over Leo that's
1: ridiculous But but at the time could you ever picture him doing anything like that
3: I mean, it, it was, it, it was different for sure. But then, then I think I don't think it's that too dissimilar than from what he did in like Birdman a couple years later. So
1: he's angry in Birdman, though. True. Everyone's but I mean, it's just
3: Birdman. I don't know. It's just a different side of him we hadn't seen before.
1: Yeah, the the only like I said, the only thing is like death, death to death or maybe keeping the faith, or the only things that he ever was going for something that could be considered somewhat goofy yeah. or lighthearted.
2: Yeah, or everybody fair. says I love you.
1: I mean, it's a it's a musical. That's a little different, but okay.
3: All right. I mean, this that was not that coming off the heels of him playing the Incredible Hulk, too.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing he had before that was like Stone or something. Oh, but yeah. yeah,
2: Stone, great movie. Oh, yeah, with the near. Yeah,
1: I mean, this was like a, a time when he was uncastable because he sort of had the rumor that he was trying to rewrite Hulk or whatever on set or whatever it was that he was doing. And he wasn't a team player. Yeah, I find it funny that he wasn't a team player, so
3: then he became a Wes Anderson actor.
1: Yeah, that's (laughs) what I said. It came at the perfect time for him. Because now he has that (laughs) partnership to work with, and he's had a lot of great movies since then.
3: He did Grand Budapest Hotel after that. I mean, he's, yeah. It was a good turn for his career. All right. Let's go through five to one, and then we'll talk about any honorable mentions we want to mention. So for me, number five, Stanley Tucci in the Hunger Games. Number four, Eddie Redmayne in Les Mis. Number three, Tom Holland in The Impossible. Number two, Javier Bardem in Skyfall. Number one, Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained.
2: Zach. Number five, Chris Pratt in the five-year engagement. Mark, number four, Mark Ivanier for a late quartet. Number three, Pat Healy for Compliance. Number two, Nick Offerman for Smash. I realized Terry, Terry has not seen a lot of these movies. And number one is Leo DiCaprio for Django
1: Unchained. Leo. Leo. Uh, my number five is Michael Pena for End of Watch. Number four, Mark Duplass for Safety Not Guaranteed. Number three, Aaron Paul for Smashed. Number two, Leonardo DiCaprio for Django Unchained. And number one, Edward Norton for Moonrise Kingdom or Moonshine Kingdom, as Adam will probably say it on his list.
3: (laughs) Probably. Probably. Uh, All right. Honorable mentions. Uh, I don't have many and most of them have already been said. There's just one I'm going to shout out here that I hadn't that hasn't been mentioned yet for another random Oscar movie that I watched. Uh, It is uh, Lior Ashkenazi for Footnote.
2: There we go. Plays the sun. Nice. And it was,
3: it was, it was a, it was a pretty good performance. It was a fascinating. Was performance. he
2: better than the father?
3: Um, <laughs> man, I don't know if he was better than the, than the father. He had more to do. I'll say that. So yeah, I'll say he's better than the father. All right. Zach, did you have any honorable mentions?
2: I think we need to talk a little bit about Matthew McConaughey in 2012. Um, <laughs> I had him originally nominated for uh, Killer Joe as supporting actor, even though he's the title role in the movie, Um, which was sort of a curiosity because I I haven't seen the movie in a while. But I I don't think he was like the lead in that movie. I think it was more Emile Hirsch in front of the podcast um, THC. But uh, I do remember he was pretty awesome in that movie. I know you guys had mentioned him earlier for Mud. And of course, we can't also. Magic Mike. Oh, and what Mike. Well, Mud oh, was next year. Oh, Mud was 2013. Okay, well, whatever. Well, anyway, this was an interesting year for... It was kind of like Matthew McConaughey in 2012 had a very similar year that the Seahawks had. He he was up and coming. He was about to win the championship. And, uh, you know, he probably could have won it in 2012 had had he gone a little bit further. Um, That's a great analogy. Anyway, I don't really have a whole lot else to say, except I think Tommy Lee Jones was a horrible nomination. I'm not sure why that happened. I like James Spader in that more than Tommy Lee Jones, honestly. And I was looking to nominate. If I were to nominate a supporting actor from Zero Dark Thirty, it would be uh, R.I.P. Jimmy Gandolfini because he is very good in that movie. In the future, or series. Mark Duplass. Mark yeah, Plus. I was. Where was the dodeca de- dodeca-cathalon on your list? No, oh.
1: he, no, he, no, he was in Zero Dark Thirty.
2: Well, I know that's what I'm saying. I, I, I had just, to watch Zero Dark Many Mark Duplass movies from this year, mm-hmm. so I was just surprised to not see that one mentioned.
1: Same thing. I guaranteed is the best one, though.
2: Or at it's the best performance, not the
1: best movie. Obviously, Zero Dark Thirty is a top ten movie. My honorable mentions: I have, um, I don't know, some more Todd actors. If you want to go with that, Seth Rogen and Take This Waltz, which is Sarah Paul's movie. I, I really like that movie a lot. Uh, Sam Rockwell and Seven Psychopaths. I believe he got a Spirit nomination. Um, we got James Gandolfini in Killing Them Softly is the one I roomed out for. Samuel Jackson in Django Unchained. Ezra Miller in The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Seth MacFarlane and Ted. We mentioned Daniel Henshaw as like the, the vicious character in uh, The Snowtown Murders. And the one that was probably closest to being a nomination probably was like he may have actually been like six or seven or eight is uh, Dwight Henry, who is the father in Beasts of the Southern Wild. Oh, that's a good pick. I-, I was always really struck by that character, and he got like no nominations up to that point. But the way that overperformed on Oscar uh, nomination morning, you had to think that he ha- he had to have been really close. In a uh, yeah, so that's another one. That's Very a good nice. pick. Very nice. All right, it is now time
3: to predict Adam's list. Uh, all right, I'm going first here. I'll tell you right now. Here's what I did. I looked at his top 10 and just picked out supporting (laughs) actors that hadn't been nominated. Not about his top 10. 10. So let's see how this goes. So I've got number five, Jason Clark for Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Number four, Guy Pearce for Lawless. Number three, Bruce (laughs) Willis for Looper. Number two, Javier Bardem for Skyfall. Number one, Leonardo DiCaprio, Django Unchained.
2: Okay. Zach. Number five, Guy Pierce for Lawless. <laughs> Guy, <laughs> I don't even remember that character. <laughs> I've never I seen the movie, I've never seen it either. Number four, The Car and Holy Motors. <laughs> yes. Number three, Osama bin Laden from Zero Dark 30. Number two, Werner Herzog and Jack Reacher, also in his top 10 list that year. And number one, Leonardo DiCaprio.
1: Number five, Javier Bardem and Skyfall. Number four, Michael Pena and End of Watch. Number three, Matthew McConaughey in Magic Mike. Number two, Tom Hardy, the actual good performance in Loveless. He, he didn't Oh, I
2: thought you were and, saying the Dark Knight Rises.
1: And number one, uh <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio.
3: <laughs> okay. Here we go. Uh honorable mentions. Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street uh matthew mcconaughey in both bernie and magic mike no mentions of bernie how would that happen zach
2: mm. yeah I, I i've always felt that mcconaughey was a little overrated in that movie
3: uh and albert brooks in this is
2: 40 that's a good call i was actually thinking about albert brooks did you hear that he's
1: trying to make a this is 50 like that'd this be year wonderful
0: next
3: year. oh that'd be cool just, i wonder how many jokes not have in the in... bubble
1: how many jokes would
3: there be in that about how uh, Paul Rudd hasn't aged?
2: No, no TikTok, please. And
1: that he looks younger. Yeah. Yeah. No TikTok. That's true. Or N- no, no iris.
3: <laughs> Number five on his list Mark Duplas, safety not guaranteed.
2: Wow. Oh, shit. Wow.
3: <laughs> Number Approved, four, Adam Samuel L. Jackson, Django Unchained.
1: Son of a bitch. I was about to put him in there, but I couldn't figure out who to take out.
3: Number three, Edward Norton, Moonrise Kingdom.
1: Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable, Adam. You're you're awesome.
3: Number two, Javier <laughs> Bardem in Skyfall. Number one, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jingle Unchained.
1: So I got two.
3: I got his number one and his number two.
1: <clears throat> you had Javier Bardem number two?
3: I did. I did.
1: All right. Well, that means you win. I had, I had Javier Bardem number five. I should have. Had I mean, Jack.
3: technically, he wrote Javier Bardeen. But I think he meant Javier Bardem.
1: Adele Bazim.
3: Adele Dazim. Yeah.
1: All right. That's number 24 and a half for Terry. Zach has 25. <laughs> oh, half I my. have 30, 40. <laughs> no. Yeah, 40. Have 30,
3: 40. Okay.
1: I have 40.
3: That's a lot. All right. There we go. There we go. Thank you for the win, Adam. I appreciate it. Moving into trivia time. Are you ready?
2: Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face.
1: This is going downhill quick. Trivia.
3: And Todd won trivia last time, so he got to pick some movies for us to watch, and he's hosting trivia. Uh, Todd, who's going first, me or Zach, for the the review?
1: Uh, We'll go with Zach first, because... Uh, I don't know, you just won, so Zach deserves a little bit of uh
2: sympathy, okay? All right, yeah. I haven't won, <laughs> and I'm more curious in about this <laughs> a long time. All right, uh, so Todd assigned me The Sisterhood of Traveling Pants, one of Todd's favorite guilty pleasure movies. I don't even know if we could call it a guilty pleasure, I mean, he just genuinely like, likes the movie, he also likes the sequel. Um, I, I told Todd when he assigned me it, I, I feel like I've seen the movie, um, because it's been on TV so much. I know Tibby, I know uh, Costas, I know uh, everybody, I know the dying girl, I know me and Earl and the dying girl, I know everybody in this movie, Um, but it was uh, kind of interesting to rewatch because I don't think I'd actually seen the part where they discover the pants, I hadn't seen the first 20 minutes of this movie, that is for sure, Um, and I remember remarking, boy, how are are those pants going to fit them, and then my wife said, you're a sexist. And I thought, yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Sisterhood of Traveling Pants tells the story of three or four teenage girls. You know him. You love him. Tibby, Lena, Carmen and Bridget as they embark on their adventure during the summer. They're all friends, although they don't share a lot of scenes together in the movie. Um, let's see Tibby. Well, Tibby is my favorite. Uh, although I feel like I've actually seen most of Tibby in the sequel when she actually works at the video store. I feel like she's kind of channeling, like there's a real Thora Birch ghost world type vibe to her, except this movie is PG 13. So it couldn't actually get that edgy with her um we got america ferreira aka ugly betty as carmen who goes to bradley whitford's house now of course when we saw bradley whitford on the screen i was thinking this is the sunken place and my wife laughed at that joke um this is a little bit pre-get out at bradley whitford but it's not too different from that it's basically kind of the same character she uh, he is her dad who has rejected any remnants or traces of his relationship with her mother and he doesn't speak spanish anymore we've got Lena, played by alexis bladell uh, in the uh, this is the most quintessential Alexis Bledel role ever. Um, you know she's innocent, virginal. Uh, she j- falls in the water, and Costas has to res- rescue her. I'm still a little confused about Costas's family history with her family, but we'll just let that pass. And then we've got Blake Lively as Bridget. I don't think, t- has, have you ever given thumbs down to a Blake Lively movie? I think that's really the reason you like this movie is Blake Lively. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, uh, these four girls have some adventure. The Blake Lively, she wants to party, man. These girls are down to party. At least she is. Uh, but the rest of them um, have some adventures with pants and soccer balls and falling in the water and some boats. And we got uh, a little girl who's dying. And we've got uh, the parents that don't understand. I, I don't know. I mean, this is not really my vibe. Interestingly enough, HBO Max has Welcome to the Dollhouse, which I was rewatching. I was like, that is a better movie about teenage girls. I'm more into that shit. I'm more into the messed up Todd Salon's world of teenage girls. So that kind of influenced the way I watch this movie. I give it two and a half stars. I know Todd loves it irrationally. The way Todd feels about this movie is the way I feel about the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. So I can't entirely like dispute his love of these movies because it's irrational and it's wonderful and sentimental. Um, it just wasn't really my vibe. And if I'm going to watch a girl, a teenage girl movie, I'm watching Welcome to the Doll, Dollhouse. I want something more alt alternative. And Tibby would agree with me. Here's the real question I have for you, Todd. Would Tibby have given this movie thumbs up? Because I don't think she would have. I don't know.
1: I mean, I, I think she probably would. I mean, if she if she Absolutely agreed not. to everything. No, I mean, I, I don't know. That's hard to say. We don't really get her... her in this
2: movie, we don't get really get her, her um,
1: taste No, of course not. We She's don't
2: know anything about her taste. That's another disappointing thing about the movie. Listen, I wish the whole movie had been about Tibby. Uh, I know, Tibby's know- the best
1: <laughs> character. I think she gives one of the best performances of that year. And she should have won Best Born Actress two years later for Stephanie Daly. She's one of the great actresses and one of the great characters. Tibby is a great character. But 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 her, but the, the little girl that's with her, Jenna Boyd, it, gave one of the worst performances I've ever seen in the Ron Howard movie, The Missing. <laughs> and then she was one of the best performances of the 2000s in this movie. Like, she is amazing, too. Like, I don't know. I, I think this movie is a showcase for the actresses in the movie. And it's rare that you get a very female-centric movie that is all about the performances. It's like watching Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but when they're they're oh, not all that's, in the same that's room. That's a
2: great idea. Let's recast Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross as these actresses. That, I would be down for that. I don't
1: know. I mean, two 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 and a half stars is just that i mean that's a disgrace but i mean
2: i actually watched it though i actually sat down and watched it i watched it again this week too it it was a little hard to watch it was a little hard to watch this movie is very sterile it's very sanitized it's very studio i think i needed some more french in this movie i needed some more messed upness for example, the Blake Lively character is interesting. I think basically she I that is an R-rated storyline in a PG-13 movie. Why couldn't they have gone into that a little bit more? And I I don't know. I think I, they, they all have they all
1: have their Oscar scene. All, all the actresses do, and hers is probably the most heartbreaking of them, but t- t- like um obviously Amber Tamblyn is the best actress of them. I don't
2: know if I I think America Ferreira actually has some really great scenes in it. And she I think has, yeah, I mean, they all have their scenes yeah. in the movie. But I think I I don't know. Like, I think Blake Lively probably all of these girls. Well, especially Blake Lively could have had their own movie and it would have been better. Except if they'd been French. Just make the movie French and I'd probably <laughs> give it a thumbs up. That, that, but, that's the second time that,
3: that that's come up. But yeah, well, the, was the keys
2: to Zach's be heart. <laughs> I will probably watch I would probably watch the sequel. I'm intrigued by Kostas's relationship with Lena and I he he comes back for the sequel, right? Yeah. I actually have no recollection of how that storyline um like resolved in the movie. And I've I only watched seen the sequel night.
1: once. I saw it in the theater but I don't remember how that actually got resolved. I feel like
2: it, this is very similar to when I assigned you My Girl and you shit on it, so I'm going to go light on this movie. It's just not... <laughs> I, I know it's not kind, but it's just not my jam. But I included
1: this in my The Future of Hollywood Leading Men and Women uh, 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 article on our website. You did.
3: It was this an alpha dog.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I could go through it right now, but I feel like we're <laughs> going a little long, so... <laughs>
3: Yeah, We're uh, no, go ahead. Law. Go ahead. Tell us. Tell us who, which actress was which.
1: Uh, I said Amber Tamblyn was this generation's Laura Linney, which I think is pretty accurate. Uh, Alexis Bledel is this generation's Emily Watson, which is probably a little ambitious. Uh, America Frere is, of course, Rosario Dawson. I said Blake Lively is our generation's Uma Thurman, probably because of her long blonde hair, because I'm crazy about both of them. Uh, and jenna boyd the little girl was our generation's jodie foster which never actually lived up to it but i feel like she has the potential to be that because of her performance in this movie is is uh, something special
2: that, that's not bad listen todd can i also tell you m- one of my insights about this movie had this movie been made five years earlier anne hathaway as tibby and kate hudson as uh bridget yeah yeah there we go that, that would have been, been really good i got right. nothing go ahead terry tell <laughs> us my about turn. all right
3: tell i so had to watch i had to watch the king of satin island
2: oh wow uh, here we go let's get some yeah. answers yeah i don't know why i
3: hadn't watched this before
2: <laughs> i don't know either
3: um, yeah i don't know how i never caught it but yeah king of satin island Uh, this is a Judd Apatow film. I mean, I feel like we've talked about him enough so far, so let's talk about him a little more. Um, and this is written by and starring Pete Davidson. Well, he's one of the co-writers along with Judd Apatow and Dave Cirrus. Um, kind of timely considering, uh, Pete Davidson had his last episode on SNL last night. Uh, and as he, as he said, said, farewell to, uh, to SNL. Uh, There's
1: also in a movie I saw a preview for in the theater called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Bodies, uh, Bodies, too. Bodies. Yeah, Res- I saw that one too.
2: was sure <laughs> audiences only preview. Red Band.
1: Which yes. is why I mean, basically, Tiro, for Tiro, you were Davidson's like men, men, men. I was like, oh, see you Like a Bodies, Bodies, Bodies <laughs> reference. I I, <laughs> that's funny. I I find it funny oh, that the funny. Red Band
3: trailer for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was really only for Pete Davidson's role in the trailer. But oh, yeah. um. Yeah, so this is fairly autobiographical for Pete Davidson in uh, in that I mean, his if you don't know his his story, you haven't been really paying attention to Pete Davidson. His uh, his father was killed on nine eleven as a police officer in the World Trade Center. Um, this in this story, his father is a fireman who is killed fighting a fire when he is a young boy, and he is kind of dealing with you know being a young adult with uh, some severe emotional trauma in his past that kind of has prevented him from being a a really productive individual in society so far. Um, His mom played by Marissa Tomei uh, because I mean, if you're going to have a middle-aged New Yorker, it has to be played by Marissa Tomei right now. Uh, She is, um, she starts uh, to, she sparks up a relationship with another firefighter played by bill burr um and uh and he doesn't like it simply because it's another firefighter and he is trying to date his mom uh the sisters played by Maud apatow who uh it's always great to it, it's great and yet makes me feel really old to see the apatow girls in now being adults in apatow's movies um this movie <clears throat> the first half of it takes way too long and there's not enough going and there's not enough to justify the running time of the first half of the movie. <clears throat> um, it's it, and it, it always feels like also in Apato's movies, you kind of have to settle into the humor of whatever that movie is going for. And so there's a little bit of that in the first half of it as well, but there's, yeah, there's not enough happening in the first half to justify everything that is done in the first half. Um, once he is kicked out and goes to the firehouse though, this movie kind of really becomes something very special and uh, and Pete Davidson gives gives an incredible performance, especially once you get there. Um, and I I mean I, I can't imagine how how almost therapeutic this movie making this movie had to be for him. Because he's living out his own life and his own history with this, uh, I, it it's it, it's uh, it's remarkable the the relationship he has with the firefighters, especially Steve Buscemi gives a gives a great small performance in this, um, but yeah the the end the the second half of the movie saves it and and makes it really great. I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, it's uh, it's really something interesting, and I have a theory of why Todd likes this. Um, my theory of why Todd loves this movie so much is because Pete Davidson, when he's being, when he's trying to be normal, like not when he's doing all his crazy SNL stuff, but like when he's in in something like this, um, he gives off a very Todd vibe. I I I don't know I it was so, I don't know what it was, but there's there's something very Todd like about Pete Davidson uh, in in. in this i i I don't know just kind of the 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 vibe and his cadence and the way he uh he talks um and like the way he structures his sentences i don't know it felt very todd like and so i'm like okay well maybe maybe todd loves this movie so much because he sees himself in pete davidson not necessarily in in you know how messed up pete davidson is in this movie but because of just like he he just like carries himself in a very Todd manner, and he kind of sounds like Todd.
1: He's he's really lanky too, you know. <laughs> <It's> really lanky. <laughs> well, I when I first saw the movie, I I said that his performance. Well, I mean, I love I love him in this movie. Obviously, I said he was like Sean Penn meets Johnny Knoxville, and I feel like that's the perfect <laughs> way to describe that performance specifically. I mean, that's not necessarily him in general, but like I mean. I mean, I, I, guess, I, I guess I could see myself in that character, but I just genuinely loved the movie. It was in my top five of that year. I know Zach did not like the movie, so
2: what do you think of Terry's review, Zach? I, I completely disagree with Terry's review. I actually thought the first half was the best part. I didn't like when he moved in with the fire station. I thought that was uh, corny and cliche. I mean, got like too sentimental you, for you. You didn't yeah, like the, the, the
1: swimming pool scene? You no, know?
2: I remember particularly calling out the swimming <laughs> pool scene. Anytime you got a big swimming pool set piece, you know that they're getting thrown in the swimming but pool. But that
1: is a but... showcase for Bill Burr to do his thing. Lame. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. they got it up. You're, 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 it's an above ground pool. You're seven feet tall, you know, whatever so. he says. <laughs> I mean, that is a Bill Burr line. through Can and through. I tell you,
2: I will tell you, my favorite thing about the movie was. And I thought this had great potential, uh, potential for, for growth. Yeah, down the line. Um, Pete Davidson with with kids, he was very funny with the with the little kids That's and, true. and babysitting that them. True. That was funny. I would have watched a whole movie with that, or a, at least a three minute SNL sketch with it. That's great. More of that. No, let's not do Bill Burr. Let's not do. Also. Two hours and fifteen minutes. I mean, that's a lot of time for a movie these days. Okay, a lot of time in this movie on useless shit. I think I remember many Staten Island ferry scenes that went on forever. Oh, and uh, there
3: was yeah one, one or two. One. Uh, I think it's I just, just
2: one. It's just not not really my There's jam. There's more but...
3: Staten Island ferry in Spider-Man than there is in the King of Staten Island. No, I
2: wasn't a fan of Spider-Man either. I would be willing to rewatch this movie at some point. Maybe I was having a bad day, but. I think it's not my it's not my favorite thing. It almost like a special stuff.
1: place in my heart where it's the only movie during the pandemic that I actually paid twenty dollars to watch the movie streaming because it was not in Ooh. theaters. It was one of the first that was like the major release not in theaters. I paid twenty dollars. I watched it because I'm a fan of Judd Apatow. I still am, despite the bubble. That was a bad idea.
3: I think there was only one movie I did that with as well, and that was Promising Young Woman.
2: Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember that. Saw that in Vegas.
3: <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I so so the whole thing of it of it reminding me of Utah. I I did watch this. So I was busy like all week and out of town, and so I watched three movies. All three of these movies I've talked about: The Quiet American, Men, and King of Staten Island. Yesterday, and so I went to the movies and watched Men and saw the trailer for Bodies, 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 and saw him in that and like that last <laughs> clip of him in that I went whoa that kind of sound Todd would say that line that way and then I went home and watched the king of staten island immediately after that and I couldn't shake that feeling that that Pete Davidson delivers lines seriously the way you do and um that yeah
2: see the problem the problem I have with it <laughs> is that I thought I, I thought him. Pete Davidson was funnier <laughs> I thought Pete Davidson was funnier in um what was the movie? T- Big Time Adolescence. And it was basically the same performance, I thought. Yeah, the high school movie. Yeah, studio I thought thing. I, like that movie I gave three stars to. I thought that was a better version of that movie. And it was the exact same performance, really similar storyline and just just kind of did did it better. I so just
1: don't like Pete, Pete Davidson then because this is him doing his thing. Like the first hour or so is like him hanging out with his buddies you know, I mean, this is Pete Davidson doing the Pete Davidson thing. That's no, what? I
2: just I like 90 minute movies. I don't like two two hour and 15 minute movies. I, that's, that's the, the unless favorite. it's a jut up to movie that you do like, which is the other ones that are the same length. So here's the real question. Will, will he be in <laughs> this is 50? I mean, he's got to be right. Maybe he's Leslie Mann's trainer replacing Jason Segel. <laughs> <laughs> bodies by Jason. Bodies, bodies, bodies by Jason.
3: There we go. There we go. All right, let's let's get into let's get into trivia, Todd. What are we doing?
2: Okay, I have one category:
1: it is uh, a quiz on Sporkle that I did recently, and I thought it was really cool, and I thought it'd be appropriate for this podcast. It is people who have been nominated for an acting and a non acting Oscar since two thousand. So both of the nominations, the acting nomination and the non acting nomination, have to have been two thousand or more recent. There are twenty people that have done this. And I'm going to give you one point if you can come up with a person, and you can come up with another additional two points if you come up with the uh, nomination that they got
3: since 2000. You said
2: so an acting and a non-acting. Yes, they have to have had both. Not a win, right? Nomination
1: since 2000, and if you can come so. If we had been doing this, if you had included the 90s, which we are not, uh, you would say Tim Robbins. And then you could get another point for saying 1995 Best Director and 2003 Best Supporting Actor. But you can't say that because it was he did not have a non-acting nomination since 2000. Since 2000, okay. But And if you do not get both of the things, then the other person can steal one if they can come with that. Got it. So there were 20 of these. I started the last thing with Zach, so I will start with Terry. So do we have to give the year or can we
3: give the film? Like the nomination in the film? I'm and horrible can, with Yeah, the years. that's fine. You
1: can say the film.
3: Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with uh Clint Eastwood getting best actor and best director for Million Dollar
2: Baby. That is three points for Terry. Yeah, that's a, that was the first one I wrote down too. All right, you're saying there's 20 people who have been nominated for an acting Oscar and a non-acting Oscar. That 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 baffles my mind right now. I can't <laughs> think of anyone other than Clint Eastwood. Dude, there are some that have like six or seven different categories they've been nominated in. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of singers. I can't think of anyone. I'm trying to think of directors, oh, writers uh lady gaga there Late. there's one
1: there you go there's one point and what, what nominations does she have
2: oh uh actress and song for star is born 2018 both of them for a star
1: is born yeah and she's not another nomination you for a song for the hunting ground
3: could i have there. also said that could i have also said that i don't i don't know if i'm right but did eastwood have a score nomination for like mystic river
1: He's not never been nominated for Best Score. He's never score.
3: been nominated for. Okay. All right. Let's see here. Which one do I want to go with next? Let's go with Mary J. Blige, uh, Best Supporting Actress and Song for Mudbound.
2: That's a good one. That
1: is three more points. Six to three, Terry.
2: <sighs> okay. Mm. Um. It's it's amazing to me that there are 20 people that that, that fit this. Well,
1: like, I would say, like, 15 of these 20 people are some of the biggest names in Hollywood. I mean, multiple of them won Oscars last year. (laughs) Like, with this last (laughs) Oscar. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but it's not going to matter because Terry's got more, and you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I don't. I
2: don't think I, I actually don't think I totally understand Uh... the category. Um, um the uh the actress from um uh the united states versus billy holiday
1: that is not correct yeah it is <laughs>
3: oh no she just sang the song she didn't actually does that
2: I, I, it. A, I should get a half point if is it that, sang uh, is that what the it is she's
3: saying what did she sing she sang the song from... Well, she sings
1: the songs in the movie. She didn't, she didn't write no, 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 one no, no, of the songs
3: no, no. that she, she sings a, She sings a nominated song from a different movie. Um. What movie did she sing the song for? Um. Hold on. I have it on my phone. Give me a sec. I don't know why I'm fighting for Zach to get points, but I am. Do you want to keep going? Because I want to keep going, because I've got like five more written down.
1: Um. I'm they had one nomination, I'm telling you. Yeah, so, she, that's it, possible, but she's saying she's saying
3: one of the original song nominees. I know this for a fact. What from Judas or
1: something? No, she was is that was it, that was her. No,
3: that was her. Um oh it was um
1: I don't know. Zach, this is pathetic. Uh, you gotta think harder.
2: I can't think of any way. Okay, think about people who have been nominated warriors? for writing and acting. Anything. I, I, i've i've got nothing i have absolutely... people who have been
1: nominated for actor supporting actor picture director original screenplay adapted screenplay? i was gonna say
2: greta gerwig but no she hasn't She's been never got an acting Oscar. Acting Oscar. Oscar. exactly Comedy. i i've have, i've have got how absolutely about nothing. uh supporting actor picture director original
1: screenplay <laughs> win for
2: 2021 <laughs> how about Sorry, <laughs> I don't know what How you're about talking about.
1: Best actor nomination 2020. Live action short winner 2021. No clue. Stop giving him hints. He's not even coming up with the ones I'm giving him. The... Andre Day.
3: Andre Day sing the song Stand Up for Something okay, from yeah. uh, from Marshall. There so, we go. I should get a half point for that. That shit.
1: was not nominated.
3: Doesn't doesn't the movie you're was nominated, movie. but she wasn't nominated.
1: I think. Terry, what else you got? i uh, sure you I've had got, those two that i I've, just or those three i just said
3: i i wasn't paying attention to too many of them you said tw- some from 2021 and i'm trying to remember who won last year i just and said the
1: two the two winners from 2021 that that qualify it's so obviously it's, terry's it's already won me. uh yeah,
3: cynthia revo was nominated oh, for cynthia both Arrivo. actress yeah, and song for harriet one. um george clooney was nominated for all sorts of different stuff yeah Uh, Yeah, best actor three times, best supporting supporting actor actor, win, best picture
1: win, director nomination, original screenplay, adapted screenplay.
3: Uh, you've got uh, I want to say Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt has a win, and he's got producer credits for some for like 12 years,
1: three including a best picture win. Yes,
3: yeah, and then uh, the one I wasn't sure about, I can't remember if Bradley Cooper actually got a double nomination at any
1: point. Okay, Bradley Cooper has three four acting nominations and four best picture nominations and okay. a screenplay nomination yeah so he's he's like one of the most nominated people to not win now in, in Hollywood. yeah yeah
3: that's that's what i had written down um i don't know i i can't think of 2021 at the moment for what okay
1: it so the other ones we have are denzel was nominated for best picture for his uh for his fences along with oh the nominations Ethan Hawke, of course, wrote the two before movies along with his multiple acting nominations. Francis McDormand won Best Picture for Nomad Land. Ow! Along... Exactly. He uh, yeah, said Clooney, uh, Kenneth Branagh, obviously, oh, with his yes. supporting actor nomination and his multiple nominations in all
2: categories. He was nominated for supporting actor for My Little Maryland. Oh. He played Lawrence Olivier. Wow. We've never gotten that.
1: Leonardo DiCaprio uh, was nominated for Best Picture for uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Leslie Odom Jr. had the song for the the movie that he also was in. Maggie Gyllenhaal, of course, had her Supporting Actress nomination and Screenplay nomination. Mark Wahlberg was nominated for Best Picture for The Fighter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt Damon was nominated for Best Picture for Manchester by the Sea. Riz Ahmed was the one that won Best Live Action oh, Short and was nominated for Best Actor. Yeah. De Niro was nominated for Best Picture for uh, The Irishman. Sasha Baron Cohen was nominated in the same year for Supporting Actor and Best of Screen Screenplay for different movies. <laughs> and Will Smith was nominated for Best Picture for King Richard. It would have been interesting if Zach actually had any the shot at that.
2: <laughs> this is a dumb list. That you was a great list. That's a How great many of list. those got thrown on as producer credits just for the just for the sake of it? That, that's Maybe dumb. like seven or eight. But I mean, I immediately, those...
3: I like immediately had seven written down without any hits.
1: Clooney and Brana are like the famous ones that have been nominated in basically every category you can be
2: nominated for. I have no <laughs> recollection of Brana being nominated for an acting Oscar.
3: I look, Marilyn. It's the second time about... the movies
2: I've come up have Never seen this that year. movie.
1: Clooney has been nominated every way that you can be nominated.
2: Yeah, Clooney, Clooney and Pitt were pretty obvious. Yeah, I should have got those.
1: Well, I, I immediately Cooper, went to the Bradley acting has,
3: song in the same year. Bradley
1: Cooper, has, Bradley Cooper has been nominated for Best Picture for the, American the, Sniper. I think the, the producer
2: credit—that's so random, though, who, who who gets a producer Nightmare credit? Alley. Like Francis McDormand on Nomadland. Come on, I mean that's that that's that is so like arbitrary. If you're paying attention, though, you're not. Yeah whatever
3: all right uh let's move on it we're, we're let's wrap <laughs> this, this is up
2: debacle
3: i i i win obviously and then we'll go for well, let's go from there quote of the day time since i won i get to lead us off
2: strawberries
1: not the cheese Womack with a little
3: sex in it quote of the day uh so i've got a couple things here the first thing i was gonna quote uh king of staten island and the best line from the whole thing is when pete davidson just kind of goes home run todd and so i I wanted to i wanted to quote that um but then then moving back to the beginning of the podcast when you guys had no idea what i was talking about with the will ferrell jack black uh and uh john c Riley oscar sketch that they did where they sang a song about being a comedian at the oscars and how they never get nominated uh, John C. Riley uh, stands up in the middle of the crowd and talks about how they have to do comedies and dramas. And the best line of the whole song is he said, I've been in both Boogie and Talladega Nights. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's good. I should get uh, an extra point for not saying Queen Latifah. I really wanted to say her, but I knew that was the wrong pick.
3: Andre andra day is not a bad wasn't a bad guess like i said yeah. she sang a song she didn't write it though
2: right that's another reason because you don't know who wrote it they performed it i don't know
3: all right todd quote
1: <laughs> uh so my quote comes from the one that probably should have been in my top five but it wasn't because i didn't want to make it a hundred percent Todd list, and that was some sam rockwell in seven psychopaths it's his exchange he has with uh christopher walken and Christopher Rockwell says, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. I believe that wholeheartedly. And uh, Sam Rockwell says, no, it doesn't. There'll be one guy left with one eye. How's the last blind guy going to take out the eye of the last guy left? Who's still going to have one eye? All that guy has to do is run away and hide behind a bush. Ghani was wrong. It's just that this is nobody has the balls to come out right away and say it. And, you know, I feel
2: like that's a lot of the stuff we say on this podcast. <laughs>
1: Gandhi was wrong.
2: Nobody are we going to deep dive Gandhi this year, guys?
3: <laughs> I, I've i never seen Gandhi.
2: I'd fight Gandhi.
3: I'd fight, fight Gandhi. That's not the line, though. All right, Zach, wrap us up.
2: My quote comes from the most deserving supporting actor of 2012. That is Leonardo DiCaprio. In Django Unchained, he says, Gentlemen... You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. And that's the best quote of maybe any movie in 2012, right?
3: That is a good one. That is a good one.
1: The most memeable role since that became a thing. That's what I said.
3: Yep. All right. Well, with that, we're bringing this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us this whole time. Uh, Cause it we went a little long, but that's okay. Cause we were having a lot of fun today. Uh, We'll be back at you in two weeks. We're taking next week off for Memorial Day weekend, but we'll be be we'll be back at you in two weeks with another episode where I feel like we're going to be talking a lot about Tom Cruise. Just a hunch. So tune in like for that. like Tom Cruise. We do. Until then, have fun watching
1: movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.